Another motorcycle racing season is upon us. A time for new beginnings. Unfortunately, that means the time for a very difficult goodbye. Welcome to the final Bike Live. Let's go! Yes, for those that have been living under a rock, I will explain. Uh, but welcome to Bike Live episode 92 uh, and an episode which is going to be with the exception of the episodes that followed the tragic passing of Nikki Hayden and Louis Salome, probably the most difficult one uh, that we've had to record because it is the final Bike Live here on Motorsport 101 um, because I'm unfortunately having to uh, to leave this team. Um, I've got what I'd like to think is a pretty uh, valid excuse for it um, because, uh, mm -hmm. as I say, unfortunately I'm leaving uh, these guys to go and work for Dorna of all places. Um <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in uh, in uh, just over a week's time. Um, yeah, I'm going to be a social media editor and community manager for Dorna um, as of uh, March the first, um, which means, uh, unfortunately, I've well, not unfortunately, I've got to move to Barcelona because it's not a bad place to to live. But unfortunately, it means that any time that I could devote to to bike live and to motorsport 101, um, I kind of have to devote elsewhere. Um, certainly. Um, for the time being, um, there there is a piece on our Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash motorsport101, um, which which does explain um, the situation in, in great detail. I'll try and explain it as well as I can here as well, um, so you all know what's happening. Um, but uh, but yeah, but yeah, basically, for, from my point of view, this is a show that I I love very dearly. This is a um, a team of motorsport101 and a community of just motorsport aficionados and friends that I love very dearly. Um, and it's it's a community that I'm definitely going to forever stay a part of wherever I go on to work. Um, but as as I'm sure you can all appreciate and I'm sure you can all imagine, it's it's such a huge change just from a, a life point of view. Um, and it's such a huge uh, opportunity from a, a professional point of view that um, no matter how much will there is, and I would love to continue doing this every week for as long as I live, but this is a this is a change from both points of view that just requires my complete uh, attention and dedication. Um, you know, I can't half-ass this. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I've got to I've got to give everything I've got to this. I've got to put a hundred percent of of what I am into this, and that means obviously everything else has to take a back seat. Certainly for now. Um, so, so the, the upshot of that is this is for, for now, um, I certainly hope it's not the last ever, but certainly for now, until further notice, this is, this is the final bike live. Um, but I can't do it alone. Never have done it alone. Well, actually one episode, I think I did. Um, but, uh, <laughs> back in, back in the downforce days. Um, but no, uh, as ever, can't do it alone. Uh, I never had the best time over the last five years since bike live. Uh, first debuted and over the last two years uh, since it's been part of Motorsport 101's family um, sharing these podcasts with Andre Harrison. Uh, Dre, welcome. You know, a, a part of me deep down was always hoping this day would never come. But from an insider standpoint, I knew that Lewis had applied for this about two weeks ago, um, two, three weeks ago, and I knew he was going to get it. <laughs> like, you, know, you don't want to admit it to yourself because you kind of know the consequences of it, mm. but it's like, it, because it never gets any easier to admit or take in, but I knew he was going to get it. And, you know, from 
I, I said it in the, in the Patreon piece um, I put on there a couple of days ago. I mean, I, to be honest, that wasn't meant to be due out for another week, but I didn't realize until listening back to it the other day that our latest episode of M101, which went live last night, um, at the time of recording on Thursday, February 21st, um, <clears throat> that uh, it was mentioned at the end of the show. It was, so I, yeah. So I was like, shit, I kind of have to do it now, haven't I? Uh, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but um, yeah, um, I... I t- Look, it's been four and a half years together, me and Lewis, from going back to our Downforce radio days when this show was first created. And like I've said it before, and I'll, I'll, I'll say the story again. Like This was a complete bungle job. And I think Jake mm. will be the first guy to admit this. Jake Sanson, who, who still runs Downforce UK to this day. Um, it, was just, it was just a test run. It was me sitting on a Skype chat with Jake, and Scott Woodwiss, a good friend of ours, um, and we just we just spitballed a segment about MotoGP in the season so far. Jorge Lorenzo going for the title, you know, the rise of Mark Marquez as a rookie back then. I think it was. Um, no, no, this and... was this was this was the year when he was uh, unbeatable, where he'd won sort of ten in a row. Oh yes, and, um, quite right. yeah, it, it was. Yeah. It was. It was. Um, uh, We'll, we'll, we'll talk about um, the the first part of the, the Bike Live trio, um, Bex, shortly. But um, just one quick point. Um, to this day, um, Bex is the only one who can um, be officially... She can officially lay claim to the fact that she's actually cried on air. I'll do the best to try and keep that record intact um, <laughs> over, over, over the next couple of hours, but I ain't promising anything. Um, but, but yeah, as, as, as Dre mentioned, we... Um, I, I, can, I can tell you personally how it started with me. I was... Um, at a uh, F1 in pubs meetup uh, at Apre Bar, the bar that no longer exists in Birmingham, um, to watch where we all meet up to watch um, F1 races. Um, It was the 2014 Hungarian Grand Prix. Um, And uh, there are a few of us who all met up. Um, Some who um, you may know very well, um, all all of whom I can call my friends, um, Vicky and Dom, who since through that meeting went on to get married. Um, Yeah. One person who Dre can now call his girlfriend, um, yeah. and <laughs> um, yeah, it's um, it's a small world, isn't it? Um, but yeah, yeah but, uh, but yeah, I was at that um, particular meetup when when a bloke who turned out to be Jake Sanson approached the table and said, um, "Is anyone uh, interested in motorsport podcasting? We're looking for someone to host a bike show." The whole table at one looked at me and pointed at me. <laughs> I was like, I was like, yeah, I do. <laughs> Um, yeah, and um, so yeah, he talked to me. We obviously exchanged Skype details and all that, all that stuff. And um, and yeah, and then next thing I know, oh yeah, we've uh, yeah, we can you uh, are you free on Fridays? And then next thing I know, um, a, a sort of a graphics put up on on the Downforce Twitter account, um, and um, it's so bike live, brand new motorcycle show coming to Fridays, hosted by Andre Harrison and Lewis Sutterby. I'm like, shit, okay. Um, so, so the first thought is, I better find out who Andre Harrison is. Um, <laughs> I because yeah, because because I'm about to host a podcast with him. Um, and as um, as Drake kind of alluded to there, th- this is no word of a lie. The very first time Dre and I ever spoke to each other in any fashion was the first time we actually recorded an episode of Bike Life. Um, yeah. The the pilot episode, which um, given that. Um, as I say, Bike Live's going to uh, disappear. I do still have all of these episodes um, in, a, in a library somewhere, so we may, in some fashion, be able to give you a chance to listen to some of these. Um, but, um, but yeah, um, 
we basically said hello uh, i'm lewis hi i'm andre and then went from there um and I'm, I'm, i'll promise i won't mention louis Darby too much um, um because because that was how dre first addressed me uh, at the start of the very first bike live oh, but no. but it, but in all seriousness dre um did because I, I certainly didn't did you have any idea then uh in whatever it was july 2014 um what bike live was going to become and also the kind of people we were going to actually speak to making it not in a million years not in a bajillion years i i had um that's the thing i had become a part of downforce just via friends and friends really and you know like it was it was a it was a recommendation from scott woodwiss who again was working with jake very closely and needed people for a bike show he always said well dre you've got you know, I always see you tweet about Moto GP. You've got pretty great knowledge, and this sounds like this sounds like a good fit for you. And I was like, "Well, let's give it a shot, basically." And yeah, as I, again, I, I was sat in a demo room with with Scott and Jake, and they just gave us a run through, asked me some quick questions. I was apparently quite eloquent about the whole thing, um, a, a pattern that would completely disintegrate five years later, <laughs> but. Um, as Vic says in the chat, hashtag, who is this pokey Dre fella? Yes, I am still that pokey Dre fella in 2019. But um, yeah, like at the time, it was just, they seemed to really like it. And as Lewis said, the first time we ever met properly was about 10 minutes before we were meant to record our first episode. Um, I, I had no idea what this show would become. I, 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 um at the time, I was still just getting my feet in the water with Downforce. There was a few recognizable guys that I knew from there. And and I, I didn't know what my role was going to be. I was still kind of this aspiring motorsport media guy at the time. I, I'd done many an F1. I was, a, I was an F1 video game YouTuber back then. I was part of that little fanboy fraternity for a good few years. I think it was a good, I think it was a good four years I spent out there. I started making gaming videos back in 2011. Um, but... Uh, but uh, yeah, I was still trying to, you know, find ways of, of, of getting my name out there, basically. And I thought this was a good opportunity. And little did we know the monster that we had created. Um, in, in Within seconds of our first episode, me bungling Lewis's name. Um, <laughs> little did we know what we were going to get ourselves into. And yeah, we did about, I think it was something like 96, 97 shows of Downforce in the end over the course of, I think, a good three and a bit years. Um, in the end, um, it was it was mental, and like the craziest thing about it is that me and Lewis clicked from day one. Um, we just started talking about bikes, and it just fell into place. It was just so natural, and <laughs> like I've been very fortunate to do a lot of podcasts with a lot of people. I've been in a lot of projects with a lot of people. I've never clicked with anyone like I've clicked with Lewis. Seriously, it was just like that and it just happened <laughs> like un unlike anything that i've any like anyone i've ever worked with and i've known people I've known lewis and uh like king for example i've known king for seven years and, and it took us a while to find our feet in this and, and to find what made it work for us on that sense lewis we clicked from day we clicked from day one and it was actually quite scary and like by the time we were three or four weeks in it was just clockwork <laughs> we just showed up at this time in a skype chat 
Our producer, Lester Forbes, was in there. He'd press record, then go off and watch the F1 show somewhere and basically just leave us to it. And it worked. It yeah. really worked. And it, and as the show grew, as our presenting uh, core uh, grew for a little while as well, um, it was bliss. And we just had a home to talk about bikes for a couple of hours at a time. And it worked. It was a slightly it, it beautiful did. friendship. It, it really worked. <laughs> I, I, I generally think that with... With with stuff like this, when you've got like-minded people who, who not necessarily are particularly experienced in making shows like this, but I think no. when when they when they both know what a good show sounds like, um, mm-hmm. and when they both obviously I've got a collective will to make it work, I I, I think it I think it just oh, yeah. it just clicks from there, and it, it in many ways didn't feel like a like a live show in many respects it just felt like like this show kind of is just 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 two mates just just shooting the breeze about about the sport that they love and mm. and and that's kind of what it became and 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 via that we uh, as Dre mentioned our presenting team uh grew um by a third um and uh, and Rebecca <laughs> James joined us um now now Bex obviously hasn't been uh, as much of a part as in the motorsport 101 days uh, due to her um uh, ever increasing work commitments um uh, and you know we 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 miss her and we, we love her to bits and we we continue her, yeah. to wish her all all the best in in whatever she uh, she goes on to do um in her career um but it's it, i would never say that the show uh was more or less fun with with an extra person because i mean we have a great time with just the two of us um of but when, when bex became involved it it added another dimension to the show in just that you t- you just like me and you, you and her clicked straight away, but clicked in a very different way. Clicked in a sort of like a married couple arguing kind of way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very much so. I mean, for those guys that don't know me all that well, I'm a very competitive person. Um, I'm very competitive. And and if you're listening to this show, you've listened to Motorsport 101 most likely, and you've listened to how I am. Like, I have never been afraid to speak my mind on a lot of things. Um, and, um, there is a level of ego in me. I'm not going to deny that. And yeah, like me and Bex, we did, yeah, we all, again, we also clicked, but in a very different way. I thought Bex was adorable, but she just came out of a lot of ridiculous stuff regarding bikes and we bought heads on it a lot. And I just thought Bex is going to be amazing joke material. <laughs> like, like, we, we did we had no idea it was just it came out of nowhere that Bex was just going to join the show because we, we thought we knew her more of us as a speedway sort of gal um you know the respect to speedway i've never been a bit the biggest fan of it i've never been a full-time watcher of it so i thought okay how's this gonna work and again it just worked it yeah. just did yeah. because me and bex were able to play we were to play off each other so well you know bex made no secret of her favorites in bike racing um, Lowe's brothers. Um, yeah, um, yeah, Vicky um, in the chat sorry. has already uh, pinpointed one of them. Uh, no, we don't think she's married. I think she's at Lowe's yet. I, I hope not, given the given the amount of Instagram pics of her boyfriend. Uh, that would yeah. be very concerning. But um, <laughs> but uh, no, again, it was it was just an immediate click that that we had. Again, it was just Bex. Like I thought, this this is going to be great joke material and. It just manifested into us just ripping the shit out of each other on a constant basis. <laughs> well, so I just sort of sat back in the background and just let it all uh, unfold. Yeah, Lewis, Lewis became moderator for, for like us two basically having stilettos sticking out of each other's necks. Um, <laughs> again, it just worked. It just did. And it, it absolutely, Lewis summed it up better than I could. It added another dimension to the show. 
and Bex was every bit as knowledgeable as, as the other, as, as the other, as me and Lewis were. Uh, but she was emotional in, 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 a, in a good way. She was she was emotional. She was oh passionate. yeah, we'll get to that. Um... Oh, 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 just was what was it was emotional. She was passionate. She was just as opinionated as the rest of us. She wasn't afraid to speak her mind. And again, like you'd think someone quite similarly wired to me in that sense would would might clash, but we only clashed in a in a purely hypothetical radio sense. And yeah. and it, it was worked. Sort of, yeah, like two friends sort of like elbowed each other in the side sort of way. Yeah, it was it was it was it was, it was, it was so much fun. And um we almost became sort of like known within Downforce, almost like in a sort of Top Gear trio signed a kind of way where we just, oh, yeah. just like it, that was the show where we, we listened to three mates just rip the piss out of each other constantly. Um, and um, it, it never felt forced. It, it all felt just genuine. It all felt um, like there was a genuine chemistry there and a genuine friendship between the three of us. We've all, we've all met each other, but I don't think we've all, the three of us being in the same room at the same time, <laughs> amazingly. Yeah. Um, I've met Beck several times. I've met Dre several times and Dre's met Bex as well on, on a few occasions as well. Um, and it, it's amazing how just uh, what's something that started just as a sort of uh, little pilot, little uh, podcast has become that. Um, and it just shows the power yeah. of, the power of motorsport, first of all, to just to bring people together and also the power of, um, of podcasts like this one, um, but but yeah, um, Dre mentioned that Bex can be emotional. Um, we we wanted to sort of, or I wanted to look at some of the sort of fond moments that we've had together um, oh, yeah. on this show, um, and it really um, hinges around the the people we've interviewed um, back in back in the downforce days. Again, all these interviews, which obviously aren't on the Motorsport One Hundred and One. Uh, soundcloud streams or anything i do still have all access to all of them so um by all means there is the the, the scope for those of you perhaps even might just put it up for the uh, people in the discord um you might be able to just listen to some of these uh, in future um sure. I, I suppose the first big one i suppose I and mean, we did have steve Parrish on in the early days but the first big one early in 2015 um was when alex lowe's the aforementioned um came <laughs> came on the show uh, for a live interview but dre i suppose the best thing that we should mention to the listeners is that we didn't tell bex about this until literally <laughs> the day before <laughs> like like I, I wasn't even in on this until two days before this, this this actually happened but yeah for those guys that know bex and know our early days of black live we knew that bex had one very special favorite rider and that was former british superbike champion now currently world superbike yamaha rider alex lowe's um and uh we kind of sprung it on her as a surprise that uh we were able to interview we we pulled her in on the day before just saying oh can we get you on do we, we know we got this day off on the wednesday so, so we can record some promo bits for bike live uh turns out it was actually to surprise her with the fact that tomorrow afternoon you're going to be interviewing your hero alex Lowe. yeah i'm pretty sure i still have the recording of the entire call where i literally opened the call by saying um Bex thinks we're here, but and then I'd say this she's like, yeah, oh. I was like, yep, yep, and and she yep. and, and this is what I was alluding to earlier, where she's the only person to this day who's actually cried on air. Yeah, she burst into tears. Um, it was when, when we told her, and then basically when the day came, twenty four hours later, that we were to interview the man himself. Um, I think Dre and I basically asked a question early on, and then basically said, "Bex, over to you. Um, yeah, you take this." <laughs> Yeah, we, we sat back and it was like, you know what? Like, I did not want to intrude on this in any way. I was like, this is Bex's, this is Bex's interview. 
this is our baby. It did feel Ooh, like we were best men at a wedding uh, for for a little bit of it, but uh, but yeah, it was a it was a fantastic um, just moment just to, just to hear the obviously she was overcome and she was just overjoyed by the fact that she was going to interview her hero on air, um, and and that's one thing I love about about Bike Live how we've been able to to make moments like this happen. I mean, a very personal one for me would be interviewing Bradley Smith, um, who we interviewed. Um, I think this was also 2015. It was because uh, that was his his you know mega season. Um, yeah. It was either that season or the season after because it was the year he first won the A Tower. We interviewed him a week after he'd won the A Tower. Um, mm. and, and those who are like obviously know me from the early days um, of, of Bike Live know that um, Bradley Smith was the rider that I watched MotoGP in the early days and watched Moto Two and One Two Fives as a fan of. Um, so so to interview him was a was a was a great moment for me and um it, it kind of it has similarities to this job that i'm now taking on because it was very much a well do you know what let's just send an email off asking the question and then we'll figure the rest out later um sure. and little did we know that we'd get an interview back from his uh, his manager at the time saying sure you can interview him what time works best for you it's like, like yeah okay it's like holy <laughs> shit um, it's, it's, it's amazing how uh, how that whole um, sort of process moved along. Um, Dre, I mean, I'm, I'm sure you have personal highlights. Um, mm. one, one I want to pick up on um, from the people we've interviewed uh, is Nikki Hayden, uh, who oh, um, it it carries on much greater significance and much greater uh, emotional uh, weight yeah. now, given his, his tragic death a, a year and a half ago. Um, but of all of the people we've spoken to and interviewed on this show uh, over the last five years, all of them are absolute superstars within their sport. Uh, they're, all, they're all amazing people, but I think there's probably only one that we can genuinely say is a legend of the sport uh, and only one of them that we could say is a hero of ours. And Nicky Hayden is a hero and always will be a hero of ours. Oh, God, yeah. Um, like, yeah, I mean, I've been very fortunate to say I've interviewed three world champions on this show. Um, but if somebody put a gun to my head right now and said, what was your favorite interview I'd, I'd say Nikki Hayden without even hesitating and that's no disrespect to anyone else you've had on the show but Nikki Hayden is a bona fide legend and of course it would only hold much more significance a year later when he would sadly have the tragic accident that would later have him pass away but um at the t- like uh, he's the only interview I've had where I felt genuinely starstruck and it was even funnier because we got time differences wrong. We got, of course, how did we forget that, of course, Nikki Hayden lives in Texas and it wasn't the Eastern time zone where it's five hours behind yeah. it was six because he's, he's in the mountain zone. Um, yeah, so, I had to take the L on that one. I, I thought I, I, I basically looked up the time for Kentucky <laughs> and rang him for that. <laughs> so we accidentally yeah we yeah as we was that yes us pair of morons accidentally woke nikki hayden up out of bed an hour early yes we had nikki hayden's personal phone number um yeah. do you know what's, what's great about that though is that he didn't tell us to fuck off he didn't say oh yeah ring me in an hour he was like ah we'll do it now then <laughs> <laughs> he's fantastic he literally just got up out of bed these two pokey British lads have rung him up for an interview an hour ahead of schedule. And then Nicky was like, yeah, let's do it now. It's not a big deal. And yeah, we just spent 25 minutes interviewing him. And he's 
again, just an inc- like what you see on TV is exactly what you get with Nikki Hayden. He is just a a gentleman, a a delightfully happy, positive, enthusiastic human being. And you know, he he spoke candidly about 2006, his World Championship year, his teammate Danny Pedrosa, the move to World Superbikes. Um, you know, he, he his, just his, won at Tipang just before we spoke. Yeah, to. just yeah, just won his final ever Grand Prix that epic uh, wet race at Sepang um, in World Superbikes. Is one and only win in World Superbikes, and one of the few guys to ever win MotoGP and World Superbike races. Um, a pretty rare club in in general, to be honest. But yeah, like like you said, it was it was a it was a complete career retrospective on 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 Nicky and he was candid and polite and and honest and even though we woke it up an hour early he still gave us a tremendous interview he goes the 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 positivity and the radiance that came off him was was unlike anyone else I've ever interviewed it it shone through when we were talking to him despite probably being quite jet lagged (laughs) so it, it was a miracle in that sense but um Obviously, it holds even more emotional weight now because, obviously, sadly, he's no longer with us, um, which still hurts me to this day because mm. that is that is one that might be my favorite ever Motorsport 101 moment in the five years, nearly five years I've been doing this. Um, that one is probably right at the top, um, but it, it didn't make it any less special. Um, and he, again, he's a tremendous guy and he'll still be very sorely missed. Um, but you're absolutely right. It is probably my favourite interview I've ever had on this show. Um, and there's been some good ones, for there's sure. There's been some good ones. Um, I mean, a personal highlight of mine as well is um, a show that Bex and I were um, charged with making, a, a Motorcycle Live, <clears throat> back in um, 20... Uh, this was 2015, so it was the year after Scott Redding had got his podium um, at Mizano, where Bex went to uh, Motorcycle Live to interview Scott Redding and forgot her media pass, so she couldn't get in. Um, and I had to, we'd sort of like make phone calls across when I was I was at home in Leeds making phone calls across to say, yep, she's she's there for us. She's there to interview Scott Reddy. Um, which was a funny one. Uh, we interviewed Rory Skinner, the current uh, British Talent Cup champion. We interviewed yep. Michael Vandermark, um, yes. who, who at that point was uh, a Honda World Superbike rider uh, teammate to Nikki, uh, of course, now at Yamaha. Um, we interviewed Michael Laverty, uh, Jenny Timmuth, Jason O'Halloran, and Dan Linfoot, who were the Honda BSB riders at the time. Um, and Bex actually got to interview Alex Lowe's in person. Um, oh God! Which was which was which is amazing. I might as well tell this story very quickly. <clears throat> but um, we we were we were basically this wasn't one where we booked it and actually like met him in the media center or met him at his stand and interviewed him there. We were literally Bex and I wandering around the uh, halls of the uh, NEC. And we just saw him stood there, arm in a sling, because he just had a crash in testing and injured his shoulder. And uh, I just said, Bex, just just go up to him. Just go go doorstep him. Go full Martin Brundle and just just, just go up to him and just ask for an interview. And she, it took her a good five to ten minutes to plump up the courage to go and actually approach him. I was like, Bex, I was like, he'll know, he'll know who you are, Bex. Just go ahead. He'll surely know. He'll surely know who you are. Um... <laughs> And uh, she finally plumped up the courage, sort of like approached him like a sort of, uh, sort of, yeah, starstruck five-year-old approaching Santa Claus at the grotto, just like, hi. <laughs> um, and uh, I then interviewed him as I'm um, stood about ten feet away, sniggering, taking photos. Um, and, uh, and and yeah, it was it was brilliant. It was absolutely brilliant. And she again, she stood there for a good ten, fifteen minutes interviewing him. 
<clears throat> and then had the gall about uh, two hours later to turn up at the uh, Yamaha autograph stand for a selfie and an autograph with the same guy who we, she just interviewed two hours earlier. I was like, yeah, the, prof- the, the professional mask slipped very quickly. But yeah, 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 good point. Well, I think she held it together for the interview. She uh, she didn't like tap him on the shoulder and ask how it was like like Murray Walker and Nigel Mansell. She actually, uh, she, actually <laughs> she, uh, she she steered clear of doing that. Um, but but yeah, I mean, Bex is responsible for many of the great one-liners um, on this show. Too many of them to um, to mention here. Um, but there are several. Those who've listened to this show since its inception will will know a few of them. Um, but I mean, Dre, you mentioned the world champions we've interviewed. I mean, Danny Kemp. I mean, he's yeah. he's it's it's it, 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 to say it's not gone great for him since. Um, <sighs> not 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 our fault, but it's 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 no. not gone well for him since. But um, this has been an interview that I've been trying to get all year. Like I've been emailing their press guy at Leopard all year. Like, oh, is I there any this. any chance we can, like, speak to Danny Kent? And then we'd be like, oh, yes, we could maybe do this time. And then for whatever reason, it couldn't happen. And then we got him 48 hours after he won the Moto3 World Championship. And he was still stood in the paddock at Valencia. You could hear MotoGP bikes testing in the background. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was another of those sort of pitch yourselves moments, wasn't it? Because it was, again, it was one of the early sort of big interviews that we had. It's like, we've actually got a reigning world champion who literally has just lifted the trophy hours earlier right. and he's coming and talking to us. Yeah, it was it was ridiculous in that sense. And yeah, like, I, just, I loved that as well when we were about to do this, like Lewis didn't realise the video were in Spain and it was in local time. Yeah, I thought so, he flown yeah, home. Yeah, like, he, no, he was still in Spain. So he was like an hour, he was still like an hour behind us. So, like... Like Lewis messaged me on Facebook, and my, I was still half asleep at the time. And then Facebook, when, when I was like, "Dre, it, it, it's not like an hour away; it's now." It's the time. It was just like, "Oh shit!" <laughs> and like, I've never ran out of bed so fast in my goddamn life. Um, it, it was it was ludicrous. But I mean, talk about lightning in a bottle to get Danny Kent literally forty eight hours after becoming Great Britain's first, you know, biking world champion since Barry Sheen um, in the seventies, and. Uh, even getting a couple of exclusives regarding how he turned down MotoGP seats to focus on Moto2 and to stay with Leopard and, you know, talking about decisions you never wish he'd made. Yeah, like, you know... <laughs> different might his career have been. Yeah, um, <laughs> you know, very much so. And you forget he was offered a Pramac MotoGP seat. Um, like, he basically confirmed the rumours were true that he had been offered MotoGP rides. Um, after winning the Moto3 title that season, but he had turned them down to stay with Leopard and go back up to Moto2 again. God, what a bad decision that ended up being. But, um, but yeah, like we got a lot of excuses out of it. He was very polite and understanding. And, yeah, like we had a world champion for like basically 48 hours um, after, he, after he'd won that world title in Valencia, just in the paddocks, getting ready for Moto2 testing. And... Uh, yeah, uh, that was that was quite a surreal moment in that set. Mm, it was, it was, it was very surreal. I mean, we've we we had sort of world championship leaders come on the show, like sort of Sam Lowe's, who uh, we we had on this podcast um, as he led the Moto Two World Championship. Um, which, without sounding too cruel, you'll probably be able to pinpoint when that was because he didn't lead it for long. Um, <laughs> but um, uh, we had Brad Binder on as well uh, as he led the Moto3 uh, World Championship and obviously would go on to win that title. We interviewed him. Nicest man in the world. Nicest man <laughs> in the world. We interviewed him shortly after he'd won uh, his first Grand Prix from the back of the grid um, at yep. Jerez. 
um, a, a race uh, that I mean, of the, the, all the years I've done this show, that's still one of the the great rides I've seen. Oh, um, God, yeah. as whilst doing this show, and uh, as Dre said, just the nicest bloke. He rather than us thanking him at the end of the interview, he thanked us. Um, it's like you're just <laughs> like you're you're either too nice or you are genuinely just the nicest guy in the world. Like you're you're just doing this to sound polite, or you are just generally the nicest guy in the world. So polite. Um, so and um, and uh, we thanked him for that. Um, there've been some uh, repeat uh, guests. Alex Lowe, as I mentioned, is one. James Rispoli, uh, we have to mention. Um, oh my god! I mean, not all of you may not know this guy because he does race in the uh, in the support classes of the British Superbike um, program. He races in. I believe last year he was in Super Stock uh, One. No, was he Super Sport or Stock Thousand? He was one of the two. Um, I know, yeah, I know at the time we interviewed him, he was super sport um, as he was trying to move up to, to super bikes. Um, first of all, Beck saying that she loved his accent without realizing that he was listening um, <laughs> was, um, was, was, was magnificent. Yeah, we, we, we interviewed him. We then lost the audio on um, Spoli, so we assumed the line had dropped. And as we're waiting mm. to get him back, Bex just says candidly, Gosh, I'm in love with his accent. And then we suddenly hear him laughing in the background. We suddenly... <laughs> and Bex, Bex just goes bright red. Um, but um, but he's he's another of the sort of the, just the, the general nice guys um, that we've spoken to. Uh, a guy who just gets what um, connecting with the media and connecting with the fans in motorsport is all about. Oh god, yeah. Um, as I said James Despoli like as was one of the crowd favourites in BSB. I remember going. Um, to the season finale in 2015, um, and seeing JR phone fingers everywhere because he would, they were handing them out to the fans. The the man gets it. Um, I, I say that I say that in, in, in the brightest possible terms. It's like when it comes to promotion, how to promote yourself, how to get fans in a series that obviously is still obscure in the grand scheme of things. Even if he, even though he did race in the top flight of British Superbikes for, uh, for a season with um, the Anvil Tag Team alongside James Edison. Um, like, he gets it. He absolutely got it in terms of... He he, he brought a lot of that American-style, you know, promoting and branding that comes with being an athlete and a sportsman and took it into the UK, and it worked beautifully. Um, and, again, on top of that, just a thoroughly charismatic, entertaining, down-to-earth bloke. And, yeah, like, we had him on twice. He, he, he was such a laugh, and... Yeah, just one of those guys that I will always admire because he's one of the guys that just got it. He absolutely got it from mar- from a marketing standpoint. And like, it, trust me, if there were more riders like James Rispoli out there, the sport would be even more popular than it is now because he absolutely nailed it from a promotion standpoint. Hmm. Um, like the little things like phone fingers, having a, a helmet signed by all the fans in his last race in BSB. Um always out there he was in the paddock with a lot of people he was in the crowds just mingling with people just because he's he loves the fans and he loves the fact that people were paying money to see him race and he gets it he absolutely gets it from that standpoint and he was an absolute delight to have on the show twice over mm, he was uh, one guy who i want to um give a special mention to and talk about um because he's possibly helped us certainly in the motorsport 101 um days of, of this show helped us more than anyone else um, is Greg Haynes, uh, who I've, um, I've been delighted and had the pleasure to be able to call a friend from before I actually started doing this show back in 2014. I actually know, I've known him 
Back in the days when MSN groups existed. That's how long ago it was. Good Lord. Uh, that's how actually me and him first came to talk to each other. Um, and, and I've known each other ever since. Um, and I actually look forward to actually be able to have the chance to meet this bloke in person now because we actually live in the same city, bizarrely. Um, <laughs> now that I'm going to be moving. But, um, but yeah, he's... It, 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 let, we, we, I don't think we've ever lost sight of where we are with this show. It, it, it's, it's not a mainstream show. It's, it's, it's a show that we still sort of jokingly call it a pokey motorcycle racing show. Um, we've never taken ourselves no, too seriously. We've never taken ourselves too seriously. But there's one guy who's really helped us to try and spread the word of what we do. And, you know, he's always given us time. He's always, um, you know, he's, always, he's even offered himself to us to, to, um, you know, to speak to us whenever we want an interview. Um, Greg Haynes, he's obviously in the days, obviously Bex has, has moved on to, 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 to different things with, with, with her professional life. In some ways, Greg's almost become our new third panellist. Um, but I often yeah. he's one on the show and um, I, I want to take a personal moment I mean I'll, I'll do a few more thank yous and, and whatnot at the, at the very end but um, I have to thank Greg from the bottom of my heart for, for all the help he's given uh, this show um, both, both when we were down for some and with Motorsport 101 because um, you know if um, you know, we, we talked about one of the, the nicest guys in, in motorsport with Brad Binder Greg's up there as well he really is a, tre- a tremendous guy. He, like every time we had Greg on, he'd always give us more of his time than he was planning to. Yeah. Where he'd even like put off dinner with his girlfriend at one point. Um, by the time he got to the end of our, of our like Greg is the nicest guy, and and he's always been incredibly generous, and he's one of the few guys that we've had on the show that looks like he's genuinely enjoyed just being here with us, and. That is like the greatest honor we could have on this show is that, you know, guys like Greg, who, you know, not only is a brilliant journalist, a brilliant commentator, but also now getting like full on TV anchoring gigs, hosting British yeah. Superbikes highlights on ITV. If you ever watched any of those, that's him, um, basically. Um, but so, yeah. you know, If you watch, uh, when you watch the World Superbikes this weekend, that's his voice you can hear calling the action. Um, Absolutely. Uh, and, um, he, and he's brilliant at it. Yeah, he's he's never been anything but just super helpful um Total to good. us as i say to the point there where he'd actually sort of offer himself to us basically um, messaging me saying oh hey anytime you fancy an interview just let me know and it's just it's just little touches like that that he doesn't have to do um with with, the, with the job he has and you know, hell he has his own podcast the full throttle podcast on on eurosport um that he's he's so well good at well worth a listen um yeah, um, tell him you tell him we sent you. Um, given, given that given that we're going to be uh, um, absent for the time being, um, you, yeah, uh, we you have our permission to listen to that for your bike fix instead. Although I dare say, without putting words in Dre's mouth, that we may incorporate motorcycle racing back into Motorsport One Hundred One. Um, Maybe in, a little in, bit in, uh, in the uh, in the months ahead, um, in the absence of bike life. Um, but yeah, um, for the bottom of my heart, to to Greg, a huge thank you and. So just Thanks, just Greg. to underline, um, I don't think I'm um, disclosing something that he wanted to remain private here, but uh, just from a very personal point of view, just to show you what a nice guy he is, the day that I actually revealed that um, I was I was getting this job, that I was going to be moving to Barcelona and working for Dorna, one of the first people to message me was Greg Hayne saying, congratulations on the news, let me know if you need any help and good luck, um, which just, oh, just, just means the world for, for someone like that to... Not just the fact that he, that I consider him a friend, but he clearly considers us friends as well, and that he'd help us out uh, anytime we need it. It means an absolute. Uh, it means the absolute world to me uh, and to us for everything he's done for this show. Um, of all the guests we've had on the show, there, there's been a lot of amazing 
stories and and incidents and um, <laughs> just just in general in motorcycle racing in the time we've been on this show. Um, and I think the one that stands out more than any other, I think it was around the time that we, I think more people listened to Bike Live than ever before was when Sepang 2015 came up. Um, oh, good. I mean, I don't know about you, Dre, but I mean, we'll, we'll talk about that whole that whole week for a bit, I suppose, in that yeah. when that incident happened, when it, when it, well, basically when it unfolded from the Thursday press conference to that moment on the Sunday when Rossi and Marquez tangled at, at turn 15 uh, at Sepang, um, I was pretty much from that moment thinking, sort of taking a big deep breath thinking, wow, Friday's Bike Live is going to be interesting. <laughs> Interested? Yeah, <laughs> that's the word you use. <laughs> um, oh man, um, when that happened and when that race finished and the impact that it had, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm going to stress this again for the record. I cannot remember the amount of time MotoGP had ever had that level of buzz. Be, be just, just the, the, the significance of what had happened. Basically, in a sense, Valentino Rossi had a meltdown in that, that sense. He, he basically didn't want this rapscallion's actions no more. Whether there was a kick or no kick, I'll let you guys at home debate. But p- point is, whatever happened, it was mental. And the in, we, we forget Danny Pedrosa completely won that race from start to finish. It was, mm. And when it came to the post-race press conference, they were asking Pedrosa about the incidents, and he hadn't even seen it because he was 10 seconds down the road. <laughs> you know, so it like Pedrosa's win had gotten promptly forgotten about. But... Uh, it was a mental, I would say as much as a month, I would say it was mental because it goes back to Philip Island. If you if you want to mm. tell the full story of it, it, was, it went back to Philip Island and Rossi accusing Marquez of deliberately backing the pack up where on with the Honda guys were basically saying, no, we had to because we felt it was overheating and if we kept going, we would have crashed. So yes, they did ease off, but there was a good reason for why they eased off in the eyes of the Honda camp. The both side you want to believe really on that one. But it got to the point where Sepang on Thursday, Rossi had brought in Marquez's lap times and was showing off his telemetry to the media. And it was like, oh, God, Rossi's not Rossi's holding a grudge about this, clearly. So when Rossi and Marquez started scrapping out on track, we knew there was history. Mm. Um, so, yeah. Um, by the time of that accident, and of course, the repercussions of that, Rossi getting the, the having to start the final round of the season from the back of the grid, Rossi taking the case to the Court of Arbitration for Sports, the highest sporting court in the land, trying to get this overturned. Um, it was mental. It was mental, and I sat here thinking, oh dear lord, how on earth are we going to attack this? But as mm. journalists, or guys who try to blag it as journalists every once in a while, especially in my case. Um, it's the sort of shows you live for. Yeah. This is yeah. The, this is the sort of show where it's like, this this can make or break you. And you get excited about it because it's like, oh my God, this is massive. You know it's massive. And you know what you're, what you're saying is going to have an impact. People are waiting to hear what you've got to say on the matter. Yeah, I was, I was going to say that. It, it, it meant a lot to me at that time, but it really made me feel that we're actually, we've got something great going on here that, People were genuinely like tweeting ourselves and messaging us on on Facebook on the in, in in house chat we had with the team we work at the time, yeah. and they were genuinely looking forward to hearing what we had to say about it. Oh yeah, absolutely. And like... um, and yeah, it's yeah, I I, I I I totally agree with how you felt at the time. It was one of those where you sort of sat there thinking, 
and I was obviously thinking this, knowing that I was having to sort of anchor it and try and sort of guide oh, yeah. the discussion on it, thinking we really need to do this justice. Um, and Absolutely. and it's a measure of how how great our friendship was at the time that I, I wouldn't say it necessarily got heated. Heated is probably the wrong word, but um, it was obviously going to be a very uh, passionate discussion, and um, mm. it was one of those where we all knew that there were going to be strong opinions, and it was just a case of well there were going to be strong opinions but that's that's what this show we have to we we have to give our frank opinions on this and it's not gonna we're not gonna oh, yeah. you know hold those opinions against the, against each other in any way um i mean i had to i knew i was gonna get really shot down with some because i knew obviously as a host i had to try and present every point of view possible and even even if i didn't agree with valentino behavior i had to try and play devil's advocate to an extent and try and um, yeah. Try and put questions to uh, to to Dre, to Bex, and I think Adam Weller, who was on the show at the time as well uh, that week, yeah. um, you know, for what they thought of it. And and I knew asking some of the questions that I was going to get absolutely shot down in flames. But I I knew these were questions that needed asking. Um, and um, and yeah, it was it, it is one of those shows that um, yeah, you just got such as Dre said, you just got such a buzz um, coming to make that show. And and um, and yeah, I think we I think we did it justice in the end. I think it I think it went well in the end. We we enjoyed doing it, um, and and a lot of people tuned in to listen to it. These were back in the days when the show actually went out live, and people were actually um, in in the same way that this uh, Discord server is now, but on a slightly bigger scale. Um, where there was a sort of live chat that accompanied the uh, the live streaming page, um, and you mm. could sort of send messages in and ask questions as the show went along, and we could incorporate yeah. that into the show. Um, of course, since then we've moved on to um, to the Motorsport 101 platform and, uh, and the very tricky uh, Skype call that we all had to have with with Jake of, of Downforce to uh, reveal to him that we were departing <laughs> the team, um, which that was, was uh, easy. which wasn't easy. But uh, he uh, he understood and he wished us all the best. Yeah. And he was he was terrific with that. He didn't um, hold any of that against us. He he understood our reasons and, and wished us the very best, which was which was great oh. of him. Um, and of course, I'll always. Um, you know, be indebted to Jake for, for giving us this opportunity um, to begin with. Um, but it, but it's been an incredible ride. It's been an incredible five years, as I mentioned, um, doing this show across the two platforms that we've done it on um, and the last uh, couple of years uh, for Motorsport 101. It's, it's been great fun. It, it's enabled me to, um, you know, get in touch with uh, a number of you who are either listening live or are listening in um on early access or just listening on the downloaded podcast um who you know whether whether you are fans of the show or whether you just enjoy listening to it occasionally uh, or whether you whether you are genuine friends as many of you are um i i love each and every one of you and it's, it's going to be very very hard to, to leave this all behind um before this does wrap up though um because this show's still got a plenty uh, plenty of time to run yet what we decided what we do is Given that there's obviously not going to be any sort of official World Superbike season preview from us, as though this this that was what this week's show was supposed to be, um, mm-hmm. before everything changed, um, and obviously we're not going to have any chance to preview what's coming up in MotoGP and in motorcycle racing in general um, this year. We thought we'd spend a lot a bit of time on our last show uh, talking about that. Um, so, so so let's start let's start with World Superbikes, which gets underway this very weekend, um, and. I suppose we've got no we've got no plan whatsoever how we're going to we'll sort of shape this preview so we'll just sort of wing it but um, <laughs> but we'll, we'll we'll sort of start with how testing's gone this week um, because um, 
and I and I say this knowing that the Formula One testing is literally on the TV, uh, four foot away from me at the moment. And and they always say you can't read too much from testing. Um, more so in Formula One than in bikes, because there's a lot more you can uh, you can play around with to hide hide performance. Yeah, um, but were you struck, Dre, this week? Dare I say it? Were you even slightly surprised by how quick and how seemingly dominant Alvaro Bautista was? I was surprised. I was like, because Ducati's kind of like lowball this testing period so far. There was legitimate question mark to be raised about about where their new Panagale is, and obviously, I think a lot of people have been banking their hopes on this 2019 season on how Bautista fast beat the race lap record. Yeah, Bautista faster than the race lap record that Jonathan Ray has in 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 general, and yeah, like a good half second quicker than just about anybody else worth a day. Um, yeah, this was scintillated. Um, yeah, there's no, there's no way to stop it. Bautista looked very, very quick. David Emmett was quick to point out that, you know, he still has a bit of a weakness and that will be getting the tyres up to race speed. And he does what, like not, Philip not, Island. And he does like Philip Island, which, you know, which certainly helps. So, hey, not sure how much you can totally read into this, but as you said, biking there's a lot less you can play around with on it. And yeah, you don't really know. Like, like you know, you don't really know to a degree, but at the same time, it's like, you, it gives you, know you a, a fast lap time idea. when you see one. Yeah, you know a fast time when you see one. And uh, yeah, this this was enormous. Um, this this was a warning shot from Ducati. Now, I, 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 wouldn't read, I wouldn't even read too much into you know, the first race, because Philip Island, we all know, has, has got a, a knack of being a, a real equaliser for Ducati, bikes. Ducati did double up there last year. But again, as you said, Marco Melandri won both races last year, which ended up us tearing a form book into, into shreds, basically, because nobody saw that coming. Yeah. And Marco I guess, I guess the point I'm trying to make is that Ducati won both races last year, and it didn't really mean a damn to them by the end of the season. Kawasaki still dominated with Jonathan Ray as the season um, yeah. unfolded. So even if Bautista does get two slash three wins, we'll come on to that shortly, um, this yeah. weekend, um, that may not necessarily mean that Ducati are back and this Panigale is going to just dominate the season. Uh, I still think Jonathan Ray is quite comfortably the man to beat. Um, but one other rider and team I want to mention. Now, I know a lot of you, and Dre will probably be light in that camp, will be like, oh, well, of course, Lewis wants to talk about Tom Sykes. Um, but, <laughs> but, really? But he, was, but he was second fastest, Dre, on the BM. Um, he was. And, and, and Sykes does not like Phillip Island. Um, now, we don't know necessarily, again, what this is going to mean, but this is, again, much like the Panigale, um, this is a brand new bike, um, and I think BMW's expectations would have been if if Yamaha, Ducati, and Kawasaki are going to remain the top three, we want to be best of the rest. And even at this early stage, it looks as if they are that. Again, it's Phillip Island. I just I want to air a little... Well, if that's the case, out of the box for BMW, they've got something here. I didn't I expect them to be this quick this early, I've got to say. No, no, me neither. Um, not by any stretch of the imagination. I mean, BMW themselves were saying it was a developmental year for them this year. Like, they just want to get a decent package together, maybe for 2020. Was was BMW's first thing when they announced the partnership with Sean Mir, unveiled the bike and their lineup. And, you know, there's, like we said at the time, there's a lot of promise about this BMW team 
the the S one thousand double R is a very very fast, very high selling bike. People love it. It is a popular motorcycle, but no one's ever really given it much mind to try and maximize its full potential in race form. And this is it. This is that project now. So yeah, we got to wait and see how this plays out to a degree. But if if Sykes can pull out fast laps like that one already. You'll probably think you'll get the old Super Bowl here and there, and from mm. there, who knows? I mean, yeah, I was, I was just about to say that. I mean, I, I think he's, I don't think he might necessarily he might not get as many as he got on the Kawasaki, but I still think he's going to be a, a very strong qualifier, and he's going to have pole positions this year um, because he's still quite clearly the best rider in the world on, on a superbike over one lap. Um, but I, I, I wouldn't be surprised. I'll say it here and now if we see him win a Super Pole race this year. Um, I, and I wouldn't be surprised if that's what BMW target on, on a race weekend. Of course, there aren't as many points up for grabs in it, and we'll explain for those that aren't fully up to speed of what the Super Bowl race is shortly. Um, but um, it's 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 a sprint race on the Sunday um, where you know the Super Pole session, the qualifying session on the Saturday, sets the grid for it. So if Sykes is still a good Super Pole rider, if he's still starting up the front and qualifying up the front, then I think a rider like Tom Sykes who hasn't always been the best at managing his tyres through a race, for instance. And, um, you know, he's, he's obviously very, very good over shorter runs rather than longer runs. That Super Bowl slash sprint race, whatever you want to call it, might well just play to him, play to his strengths and play into his hands perfectly. Um, just to basically go out and try and go out there and put in 10 qualifying laps um, and, and, and get a win on the board, even though they don't count strictly towards the all-time records of wins in World Superbikes, which is why we better discuss that now. The the Super Pole race, Dre. Um, yes. Because World Superbikes is now going to have three races per weekend. Um, World Supersport will still have one. Um, and we've got an update on the World Supersport race this weekend to bring you shortly. Um, the first and third races, as they will be in the, uh, in the chronology, in the order, are essentially the same as the races you had last year. One on Saturday afternoon, uh, and one on Sunday afternoon. The Saturday afternoon race, race one, will be the grid will be set by the Super Pole session, as was always the case. Although Super Pole will now just be one 25-minute session rather than two split sessions. The second of three races will be on the Sunday morning. That will be the Tiso Super Pole race to give it its official title. That will be the same grid as race one, and the top nine finishers will score points: twelve for the winner, nine for second. Seven for third, and then six, five, four, three, two, one, down to ninth place. And those nine finishers will start in that order for race three. Um, all riders outside the top nine in the Super Bowl race will start the final race of the weekend, race three, in the order that they qualified in Super Bowl from tenth backwards. Um, now, the the way that the grids are all going to be decided, obviously, when it's explained, it sounds slightly confusing. I think in practice, again, it will just it will become quite easy to follow. Um, I agree. But the the premise of the Super Bowl race and everything that comes with it, uh, I guess we have to give it a chance to see how it unfolds. But just in a, a general gut feeling before it happens, what are your feelings on it? My gut feeling is is that I don't like the fact that the wins don't count. That is that is a nonsense yeah, to me. Wins like, don't turn... count, but the points do. Yeah, like that. You can't have that both ways you can't have a, a race a weekend a major weekend format change that includes a third race but then the race only half counts you get the points for winning it 
but it doesn't count as an official superbike win. That doesn't make any sense, especially when like ten laps of a track like Portimao per se. Which yeah. It's going to be like a good, you know, 25, 30 minute race. It's going to be, you know, over 40 miles long. So I, I don't understand why they're being sometimeish about this. I, mm. I've, it's I almost, it as, it's almost as if they're trying to say it's a qualifying race or it's a qualifying session in race form. And therefore, we don't count it as a race. We count it as a sort of pseudo qualifying session. I think that's almost how they're thinking it. But... If you're going to make them go out there and race race it and put their lives on the line and go, you know, swapping paint, then give them the give them the honor of saying they've won a race for it. Right, because you know, technically speaking, if someone like goes and wins a qualifying race, technically speaking, it doesn't count. If you but... if you race against 20 other people and you cross the finish line first, you're the winner. That's just that's, that's just how it works. <laughs> Yeah, like, we, we are breaking the conventional physics of motorsport right here, folks. Um, that that was always my... I'm not totally against this format change in general. Me I neither. Mean, I, I get it. It'll be entertaining. I get it. It'll be entertaining, for sure. Like, a third race is never going to be scoffed at. Um, personally, as I've said, I've mentioned it time and time again, they opened Pandora's box when they changed the qualifying format to have reverse grid starts. Like, you knew that was going to be the start of, of Dorna experimenting and basically treating Superbikes like it's their like new plaything, basically, to see, you know, and let's be honest, let's call it what it was. It was to stop Jonathan Ray from winning. Um, they've they've been trying to do that now for a good two years. They've had, they've had concession program changes and you know, they've had reverse grids, and now this is the next chapter now to make Super Pole, you know, more of a race format, which is only going to help out the race guys and the aggressive riders like Jonathan and Chaz Davies, for example. Like, I'm not sure it's going to going to have as dramatic an impact as I, I think Dorna wants it to. No, um, especially now that can... the reverse grid's gone. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, if you're good in race formats, you will always do well here, period. So, you know... Again, we'll have to wait and see how it plays out in practice, but my gut feeling is is that I don't think it's gonna have the impact that Dorna wants it to. No, I don't. I think I think what it will what will it will lend itself to is that Super Bowl race, if it gives itself a ten laps, especially at Phillip Island this weekend, given that you know, you, you the field isn't gonna break up. It's gonna stay together for the full ten laps. We know that because it right. pretty much stays together over the full twenty two laps normally, but even even when you see World Superbike races at Phillip Island, where a, a race leader or a, a group of two or three breaks away, it usually it's usually in the second half of the race that it happens. Um, yeah. So I think a ten lap race is just short enough to keep the bulk of the competitive guys together from start to finish. Uh, and I think yeah. what it'll lend itself, it'll lend itself to some of those sort of midfield slash top ten guys who, like, I mean, Yamaha might be slightly better than than that level now. They may be the the ultimate number two to Kawasaki this year. We'll have to wait and see. Um, but certainly the likes of BMW, um, the likes of uh, uh, Altea Moriwaki Honda, for instance, with Kamiya, um, Eugene Laverty, perhaps, on the uh, on the uh, privateer Ducati that he'll be on uh, this season. Um, you know, riders like that who perhaps don't get... The, and the, the, the GRT Yamahas and Melandrian Cortese, they might be the kind of guys that they're not going to be challenging for wins regularly. Um, you wouldn't think. Melandry might be an exception to that. But they, they, they're not going to be challenging for wins too regularly. 
they will probably see that Super Bowl race as an opportunity. Let's just let's just throw the kitchen sink at it. Let's throw a Hail Mary at it. Let's 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 have a few dive bombs. Let's try and get ourselves to the front. Because even if we hit the hit the fence, even if we go down, we're probably only going to be starting 10th, 11th, 12th for the final race of the weekend based on where we qualified right. at the start of the weekend. And we're not losing that much. I, 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 right. think, I, I think that's what it's going to be. And you, you're not, you're not going to tell me that, say, if Tom Sykes or Cortese or Bautista, for instance, who's not obviously new to the series, if he mm. wins that Super Bowl race on Sunday morning, you're going to tell them that he's not won? Like, of course he has. Um, it's, it, it, it's very strange um, the way the way that is all mapped out. But I think it is going to produce entertainment. I don't think it's necessarily going to change the ultimate end result of the season. I still think Jonathan Ray is going to win the championship, and I think he's going to win it with something to spare. Um, but I think it's probably going to give us a few more thrills and spills on the way. And obviously that super way. So it's such a short 10-lap sprint. Mork, I suppose... It's not to about the fact that more could go wrong, but if something does go wrong, there is less time to put it right again um, in, in that race. So we may see the odd surprise um, from, from that point of view. Um, to take you through the, the field for this season um, very, very quickly, um, because there are a few changes. It's a, it's a field that um, I would say it, it's lost in quantity, but it's gained in quality. Um, sure. That's that's how I'd phrase it because I think there's there is a greater depth of strong riders. I don't think there are any um, dossers to use a Tyson Fury expression um, on this <laughs> on this grid. Um, but if I give you the the full entry list, Kawasaki Racing Team retain Jonathan Ray. They bring in the reigning British champion Leon Haslam. Uh, Moriwaki Altea Honda Racing Team. This is now a full factory Honda team. Uh, Leon Kamiya remains. Yuichi Kianari, another British champion, uh, of course, of the past in his case. Um, joins him. Uh, Chaz Davis and Alvaro Bautista are the new Aruba Ducati lineup with a new Panagali V4R. GRT Yamaha uh, moved up from the Super Sport Championship, um, bringing uh, Sandra Cortese across from the Calio team into the uh, GRT team in the Superbike class, and Marco Melandri. Uh, Cortese, of course, is the reigning Super Sport champion. Uh, the Barney team have Michael Ribbon Rinaldi, who, of course, has been brought in by Ducati to uh, replace Xavi Forez. Patty Yamaha's official World Superbike team retains Alex Lowe's and Michael van der Mark. Lowe's, by the way, has been very strong in testing. Uh, BMW Motorrad World Superbike team. This is a new full factory BMW squad with Tom Sykes and the reigning uh, Stock 1000 champion, Mike, uh, Marcus Reiterberger. Uh, Leandro Ricardo rides, rides for Oralac um, for the uh, the Oralac Kawasaki team on a Kawasaki ZX-10R. Eugene Laverty is with Go11 on that new Panigale. Uh, Alessandro Del Bianco, uh, former Superstock 1000 rider. Uh, he's with the Altea Junior team, essentially, on another Honda. Toprak Rascatiogu stays at Pachetti, which is now called Turkish Pachetti Racing. Um, it's, a, it's a bright red livery now that he has. Um, and Jordi Torres now rides for Team Pedacini Racing by Global Service Solutions, snappily titled, um, on a Kawasaki ZX-10. Are, um, and has already been uh, entertaining the masses with his Instagram uh, content uh, this week from Australia. Um, it's only um, less than 20 regular riders, Dre, um, for the field. It's yeah. an 18-rider entry list, which is a shame. Um, I think you, you, you'd, like, sure. you'd, you'd like to see 20 to 24 riders, I think, on the grid. Uh, I think that's a sure. good number. 18 seems too few. But of the 18 we've got, I think the general across-the-board strength in depth is stronger than last year. 
No, I agree. Like, like, you, you think you're spot on in what you said. I think it's a grid that's more based on quality than it is quantity. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it does remind me a little bit of the early 10s in MotoGP when they only had like 17, 18 full-time riders. That's never a good... That's never a, the greatest thing to see. I mean, especially in a sport that's got a 15-point scoring system. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, that's a little bit eh, tetchy where that's concerned. But, you know... N- in terms of who we do have out there, as you say, I think it is the strongest field that they've had in, in many a year. There's quality up and down the field. There's no dosses. There's no obvious influence of guys who are uh, and whatnot. And yeah, I think overall it's a very strong field. Mm. Yeah, I agree. It's, uh, it's, it's going to produce some exciting racing. And the fact that we have factories like Honda and BMW now who have decided that they they want to throw some more money at this to try and bring Kawasaki back back towards them um, is 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 promising for the sport going forward. And Ducati, of course, throwing essentially a MotoGP bike um, for the road um, up against it as well in the form of the new Panigale. Again, it's promising. Kawasaki, of course, outstanding still. They've got a new bike with um, more revs on it for this year, so they're not exactly going to be any, any, any less strong than they were last year. Um, but it does appear as if there is a, a, a serious concerted effort from the factories behind them to close the gap, um, which, which we could only hope that they do. Um, in terms of the season as a whole, Dre, I mean, we, Ducati is still an unknown. Yamaha, I think, look, look reasonably strong. I mean, Lowe's has been very quick through testing, but he, we've seen that before with Alex Lowe's. Um, I mean, I, I still remember a couple of years ago when we went into the first race predicting Alex Lowe's would win a race. Um, because he's been so strong uh, on that Suzuki in pre-season testing. So we, we have to keep our sort of selves in check ever so slightly. Um, but I guess two-part question. A, do you see Jonathan Ray still retaining the title this season? And given that I think I already know the answer, B, do you think he will have to work harder for it this year? A, yes. I think Jonathan Ray does retain the title. B, yes, I also think he'll have to work a little bit harder for it. Watch how he wins it by 200 points now, I've said that. Yeah, but, given, uh, given, given that there are now more points to play for, given that there are going to be right. 48 races. Um, not quite that many, I'm, 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 I'm exaggerating. Uh, but there are three yeah. races per weekend um, across a 30-round a season. So we have 39 races um, 39. over the course of the season. Um, or, I don't know, what's the, uh, what's the breakdown of that? Uh, 32 and a half uh, if you only count the if you only count the Super Bowl race as half a race, um, but uh, but yeah, so there are more points up for grabs than ever before. Um, so in theory, he might win the championship by even more points. It might the, the fact that there are more points to be picked up may, might mean that Ray wins it earlier. Um, who knows? But I, I agree with you. I think he still retains the championship. I think he's going to become the first ever five-time uh, World Superbike champion. Um, but I think he may have to wait until maybe even the final weekend in Qatar before he actually wraps it up. Um, I think yeah. I, I think if the season goes to the final weekend, I think it's I think it's been a, 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 gen, a general success because it means that the field has closed in um, and made Absolutely. him work a bit harder for it. Um, we look forward to seeing how it goes. Very quickly before we talk a bit of MotoGP, the World Super Sport Championship um, gets underway this weekend as well. The mm-hmm. land of the batshit crazy, and they have started early, folks, because this weekend's opening World Super Sport race of the season is officially flag to flag. <laughs> Um, they, they've announced this earlier today. Um, now, I, I, I cannot believe this seems to creep up on them every year. But hey, shock horror, guys. The tires aren't going to last. Um, again? It, it, well, again, again. 
they, they, they say in World Superbikes it's not going to be an issue. It certainly won't be a bloody issue in the Super Pole race because it's only 10 laps. Uh, mm. but, but in the Super Sport race, it's been shortened to 16 laps. No more than 10 laps on a set of tyres. Uh, mid-race pit stops, um, which is oh, Lord. which was so fun. In the uh, fun for perhaps arguably the wrong reasons. Um, in the uh, second World Superbike race that we had there last year, um, but if ever World Supersport doesn't need an excuse to be friggin' insane, Dre, does it? Um, but they've thrown no, one in. Um, so this weekend's race is going to be crackers, um, even more so than normal. But as far as the season in Supersport goes. This is quite open, isn't it? Because we have um, the champion moving up, Sandro Cortese. We have yeah. the runner-up of last season, Lucas Mayas, switching teams to Kawasaki Pachetti from Yamaha. Mm-hmm. Um, the team that um, many would have considered the strongest team in the class, GRT, has moved up to Superbike. Um, yeah. But we still have a, a strong cast of characters. We still have Mayas. We still have Cluzel, who switched teams to GMT94. And we have arguably the strongest team on paper, the Avon Bros team that will be running Karakasulo and Krumanaka. Um, we still have De Rosa on an NBA Augusta. It's it's a difficult class to pick a champion from this year. Yeah, definitely. I mean, again, the point is when they were all on the we had five contenders for a little while. Um, there's no getting around that. You could argue that there's six guys who can win this title. And I don't think that's changed. I mean, I think a lot of this will boil down to a couple of the key factors. One, how good is the Kawasaki? And, and if so, what effect will that have on Lucas Myers? The, the team of Karakasulo and, and, and Krimanaka is very viable and very strong indeed. Krimanaka faded towards the end of last season, but started out like a rocket. Both um, have been very quick in testing, especially Karakasulo. Indeed. And of course, Jules Clazell is still Jules Clazell, still a ridiculously good defensive rider. Um, will probably lead from the front and is probably favourite going in. Yeah. Um so that is Yeah, because we, 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 we questioned, didn't we, on the last show we recorded that this new configuration of riding a bike that Clozel was gonna have to get to grips with, but essentially having to change gear with the other hand previously that he'd been used to based on his injury. Um the, the 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 immediate sort of takeaway from testing is that it doesn't appear to have slowed him down too much at all, and he seems no. he seems to have made the change, which was something we weren't sure of. But he's he's pretty much answered those questions already. He seems to be uh, plenty competitive enough to to challenge up the front. He'd be perfect for a Super Bowl race, wouldn't he, Cluzel? He just jump to the oh, front, yeah. get the whole shot, and then raise the drawbridge up, um, yeah. and uh, and try and hang on. Uh, but yeah, to take you through the Super Sport lineup very quickly, Rafa de Rosa stays with MD Augusta. Um, this is going in number order, by the way, not in team order. So um, we're going to be lurching around the houses a bit. Maria Herrera is going to be really racing in the series this year uh, alongside our Moto E commitments for the MS Yamaha team. Tom Taparis for the Landbridge Transport Yamaha. He's just a wild card this weekend for Phillip Island. He won't be a regular. Uh, Nacho Calero for Oralac. Alfonso Coppola. Stays in World Super Sport, having made a, his debut last year as an European runner. He's going to be doing the full season, season this year. Um, the former Super Sport 300 runner-up. Uh, Clozell at GNT94. Krumanaka at Even Bros. Um, Fellini uh, is going to be the second NBA Augusta rider. Federico Fellini, who, of course, was a Moto2 rider last year. There are a few of those moving across. Glenn Van Stralen, uh, another former Super Sport 300 rider. He's uh, a full-time rider this season for EAB. Isaac Vinales is the replacement for Cortese at Calio Racing. Um, so, uh, based on the fact that uh, blokes named Vinales tend to go quite well on Yamahas, that maybe that's Calio's thinking. Yeah. 
um, this season by bringing in his cousin, Maverick's cousin Isaac, to race for the Calio team this season. Um, his teammate is Thomas Gradinger, who was the teammate to Clozella NRT last season. That team, of course, is now gone as well. Uh, Hannes Soma stays with the race days team. Lucas Mayas, who now runs 44 rather than 144 um, for the Kawasaki Pachetti team. Uh, Rob Hartog stays with his own team. You can't miss him on the lime green livery. Xavier Navond is one of the two ESS runners, um, so we won't see him until Aragon. Um, Peter Sebastian is with the CIL and insurance team. Gabriel Ruyu, who was supposed to be a superbike rider with uh, Pedicini this year, but due to their uh, lack of funding, he's going to be riding for them in Supersport instead. Um, he's on number 61 on a Honda. Federico Caracasulo, perhaps the slight title favourite for if you base it on Maybe. testing. 64 uh, on the Evan Bros Yamaha. Um, Gaetan Matern is the other ESS runner for Moto Kawasaki. Uh, Jaime Van Sicklerus for race days. Uh, Hikario Kubo is Myers' teammate at Pachetti. Hector Barbara sticks around. He's on a Team Toth Honda, uh, Yamaha. Loris Cresson stays at the Calio team. Ayrton Badovini switches from Envy Augusta to Pedicini Kawasaki. And Corentin Perolari is the teammate of uh, Cluzel at GMT94. And he was a very impressive rookie last year. Keep an eye out for him. The final rider to complete your lineup is Jules Danilo, another Moto2 refugee uh, who moves across uh, to join the CIA Landlord Insurance Honda team. Uh, to complete the World Supersport lineup, Supersport 300 and, uh, well, Supersport 300 alone, because Stock 1000 is now defunct, um, that joins the uh, the Frey and Aragon uh, with its 58 strong uh, entry list, um, which will uh, bring don't, up... don't you dare go through that entry list. No, no, I won't, because I don't have it in front of me. Um, and and I'll, I'll miss my flight. Um, but no, we, um, <laughs> we, uh, we have, uh, yeah, we have 58 strong riders and the introduction of the last chance qualifying race which is going to be oh, brilliant uh, because there are only so many grid slots. So it's going to be uh, something along the lines of 30 qualifiers. That, that's it, the 30 top riders who qualify and go straight into the main race. Everyone behind that goes into a last chance qualifying race where the top six go through to join the rest in the main race. It's going to be crackers, um, but it's going to be uh, a lot of fun to watch. Um, British Superbikes gets underway uh, around Easter, so we're a couple of months away yet yeah, from uh, the start of the uh, British Superbike Championship. In fact, we're just under two months away. Um, and given that they now have a uh, slightly questionable tie-in, depending on uh, your point of view, Dre will have an opinion on this, with pit stop betting, um, they've, they've actually been able to uh, put up odds for the new season. Um, oh, yeah. And Dre... I have to say, I don't disagree with this because he's my pick for the title this year too, but Josh Brooks' favourite, does that seem about right to you? does seem about right. I mean, of all the veteran names that are in the series, I mean, the one that probably the least amount of probability. We know the Panagardi is a proven winning bike. Um, he's a strong team. Brooks is a strong rider. He, he won the title three years ago. He very nearly won it, you know, last year as well. Um, bit of a bit of a down year for Brooks by his standards. Um, last season, but I mean, again, the Ducati is a proven winner. Um, Brooks is, is a, his championship quality. If he has the right bike, he's going to be extremely hard to beat. Um, being a brand specialist certainly helps as well, given he could be racing around there seven times on the calendar. Um, so yeah, Brooks, I, think I saw him around 11 to 4 at the time. I mean, that does seem about right. Um, so yeah, for me, definitely, I think should be title favourite. I'm, I'm, I was actually a little bit surprised it wasn't Glenn Owen. Um, given how strong he was mm. last season as well, and he seemed to turn a bit of a corner. Hasn't, so, hasn't won yeah. enough. Probably not, no. That's, that's probably the main reason why. 
But uh, yeah, I think Brooks's title favorite is certainly about right. Yeah, I think I think with Irwin, I, I I think he deserves to be among the championship favorites, and for me, I think he is because I think if a Kawasaki rider is going to win the championship, it's going to be Glenn Irwin. Um, yes, and, and it's clear from last year that I mean it might have been largely because well. I was about to say it might be because Haslam's on the bike, but I'm actually telling the lie there because Dixon was on one too. The Kawasaki was yeah. the strongest bike in the field um, because Haslam and Dixon were the only two serious title contenders um, through the year. Um, so if that bike still has an advantage over the field, then you'd think Glen Irwin's... Well, you, Glen Irwin is the best place to exploit that. Um, but as I say, because he's, because he's only taken, what, a couple of wins in his career in BSB? Um, yeah. Uh, now... <laughs> That's not necessarily all his fault. He's always had very strong teammates. He's had Shaky Byrne last year as a teammate for most of his career uh, in BSB. So it's you know beating him on the same bike is as tough a challenge as you're going to get in BSB. Um, yeah. So now that he doesn't have that threat, now he doesn't have anyone better than him on the same bike. Um, he he is best placed, as I say, to to make the most of a potentially dominant Kawasaki if it is dominant this year. Um, Josh Brooks is. Uh, as you say, he's the right mix of proven rider and proven bike that there is in the field. Um, he's won the championship before, albeit not on a Ducati. He won it on a Yamaha. In fact, I'm not sure from the time I've been watching BSB if Josh Brooks has actually ridden a Ducati, has he? Um, he's I don't been, think he has. He's been predominantly on Yamahas across the, the variety of be it Milwaukee, be it um, Anvil Hire, or be it the uh, um, McCams team. Um, he, he's been sort of switching around between between, between Yamaha teams. So, and because he, he didn't, he rode a BM, didn't he, in uh, in World Superbikes? Um, he just I just double checked via the power of Wikipedia. He never ridden a Ducati in BSB. He's he, never he, ridden a Ducati Superbike. So, so there is a and, and there is an adjustment process to be made um, for Brooks. But we know he's a, an absolute class rider um, at this level. And as as much as we know, his teammate is a world class talent. You know, there is still an adjustment. We've seen, haven't we, Dre? Even the best, even the likes of, say, Gintoli in the last couple of years, although he has been in BSB before going to the Worlds and, and whatnot. Um, we have seen the best. Uh, we've seen riders from World Championship level series move to BSB, and it doesn't click straight away because it's just not as simple as that. The, the, right. there, are, there are there are circuits that Scott Redding will not know. Um, there are, um, you know, different configurations as bikes. It's going to be a much more simplified bike than he's used to, that he's going to have to get used to as well. I think Scott Redding makes the showdown, but I don't think he wins the championship. What about you? Redding, I think... I think you're I think you're spot on. I think he will make the showdown. I think he's too talented not to, and I think that Ducati is too good a bike for them not to be consistently up there. He's going to have some problems, though. I mean, I, I I think he might not even be top Ducati in the series. I, I, I mean, I look at someone like Tommy Bridewell, for example, thinking, ooh. And if obviously, he, obviously he... Brooks on the same bike, too. Indeed. That's going to be that's going to be a problem. I mean, that is a and very... They don't very... like each other, listeners, by the way. They are not the best of friends. No, they're not. Um, Brooks uh, has, has turned his nose up at Reading in the past, and they've clashed on Twitter. Yeah, there'll be no help uh, forthcoming from the other side of the garage for the rookie. No, definitely not. They've had those two have got history, so keep an eye out for that going forward. But uh, yeah, I I think a showdown would be would be a good season for Reading. Like I said, like this is not a cakewalk of a series in that sense. Like you're not going to just walk in and dominate everybody. It's the, the, the field is too good for that. The, 
the class of opposition is too strong, the field is too close. Um, but I think he could make the shadow of his level of talent and the team he's with. It's a good team. It's a good bike. Um, the teammate is going to make it problematic to actually win it, though. But like, I think I think they'll be solid. That's for sure. But I think showdown is is a good aim. Don't think they'll go all the way. Yeah, I think that's about right on uh, on Scott Reading. I'll take you through the uh, the full entry list for BSB because there's a few names that we'll want to um, pick up on and just briefly chat about. Uh, but we start with BYZ Ducati with Scott Reading and Josh Brooks. Bill Bay Suzuki have on paper a very exciting lineup of Bradley Ray and Luke Stapleford. Um, EHA Yamaha running David Allingham, who moves up from the Supersport class, the Irishman. Danny Buchan stays at FS3 Kawasaki. Fraser Rogers moves into the class with Geelink Kawasaki. Honda Racing have an all-new lineup. They've lost both Linfoot and O'Halloran. They've brought in Andy Irwin, who uh, shone on those uh, standing appearances for Shaky Burn at BYZ last year, and Xavi Forres. Perhaps, yes. uh, along with Scott Redding, one of the most exciting additions to the series for this year. The uh, rider who was, what, sixth in the world in World Superbikes last year, now joining the Honda Racing team uh, this year uh, on number six. Uh, the PR Racing Lloyd and Jones Bokep Motorrad BMW team. Um, that's probably not going to fit on the TV captions. Um, Joe Francis, <laughs> on number 42, is their rider. McCams Yamaha. We'll come back to these shortly because they have, again, on paper, one of the strongest combinations. Jason O'Halloran and Taron McKenzie uh, for Ooh. them. Raceways Yamaha have Matt Trulove as their rider. Uh, OMG Racing Suzuki. Um, no Gino Rear for them this year. Uh, it's Luke Mossy and Josh Elliott um, as their combination uh, for 2019. Uh, Oxford Racing Ducati, which is essentially the team. It's Tommy Bridewell. It's essentially it's the same team he rode for last year with a slightly different name. Uh, Oxford yeah. being their sponsors. It's essentially the Moto Rapido team. Uh, JG Spivik Kawasaki are running Glenn Irwin and Ben Curry. Uh, who, of course, has been a, a stalwart and a very strong rider in the Supersport and Superstock classes uh, over recent years. Uh, Ryan Vickers is the new replacement for Dixon at the RAF regular and reserves Kawasaki team. He's another from the lower classes who's getting the step up. Uh, Dean Harrison rides for the Silicone Engineering Racing Kawasaki team. Smith BMW have a new lineup uh, of two riders who have been teammates before, uh, back when they were two of the three at JG Speedfit, Peter Hickman and James Ellison um, as their oh, yeah. combination. Anvil Hayatag Yamaha have signed Dan Linfoot uh, to uh, replace Ellison alongside Sean Winfield. Christian Eden and Keith Farmer uh, are the Tyco BMW team. Farmer, of course, who is the Supersport champion. Uh, Dean Hipwell is the C8 CDH racing uh, rider. Uh, and Sam Coventry rides for Team 64 Kawasaki. Team WD40 have Claudio Corti, uh, a former MotoGP and Moto2 rider. Uh, and Bricks Ducati uh, are riding, uh, or, or have a similar uh, single rider, should I say, and it is the Frenchman Sylvain Barrier. Um, as ever, Dre, it is almost impossible to pick six. It's almost impossible to narrow it down to six for the showdown. Mm. Um, but I think there are a few serious dark horses for the championship, and I think two of them lie within the McCams team. I completely agree. I think I think that might be the best team in the field. I think Taron McKenzie in the second half of last season was electric. It was a guy that was challenging for victories. Yeah, he'll win races um, this year. I think he will. I think I think he definitely will. I think his his talent was immense at the end of that in the end of last season. Very nearly got involved in Leon Haslam's treble. Um, um, he I, was, I dare I say it, a match if not slightly better than Brooks by the last year. I, I agree. I think he was right up there. Um, you know, got on the podium towards the end of the season. He's a very, very talented kid. 
Um, and he's only going to get better. And O'Halloran is a great teammate to push him as well. That's another top-tier teammate in BSB for him. O'Halloran in general was an excellent rider for Honda. He was a very loyal servant, stuck through him as they were developing their new superbike. And just in general, a, a, a very, very strong rider, a, an established veteran of the field. And you all know it, the Yamaha's fast. There's no doubt about it. It's undisputedly quick. And on some tracks, it's 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 virtually unbeatable. We saw it at Brands last year. It was so fast around there. Um, Brooks winning winning at a cakewalk, basically. So, yeah, um, the Yamaha's more than capable. Um, and McCams have got a very good team underneath them in O'Halloran and Taron McKenzie. So, um, definitely one to keep an eye on for sure. Mm, yeah, I wouldn't wouldn't surprise me if McKenzie is the the nearest challenger to to Josh Brooks this season. Are we agreed on that, Dre? I think very quickly, Brooks for the title. I'd, I'd say I'd say Brooks for the title, but I would say I think Taron McKenzie will push him very close. Mm, yeah, we uh, I think we're agreed on that. We're looking forward to uh, seeing how BSB uh, unfolds this season. It gets underway. Um, they're testing uh, a few times between now and the opening round. They're testing at Silverstone and Portimao um, uh, and Monteblanco as well in Spain in the uh, in, in March. But the season starts on Easter weekend, 19th to the 21st of April uh, at Silverstone. And they're taking no chances yet, despite uh, Silverstone no doubt reassuring us that everything's sorted uh, because they're racing on the national layout um, on Easter weekend. Uh, right, Moto, yeah, MotoGP then. Um, and uh, we'll, we'll, we'd love to talk about Moto2 and Moto3, but we think we're going to have to be rather brief on there on Moto2 and Moto3. Um, so we'll get them out of the way first, right? Um, Moto3 first. Nigh mm. on impossible to even pick a winner for this. I mean, I've said from midway through last year that I think Lorenzo Dallaporta is going to win the championship this season. Um, but it's it's a class that... I mean, predict Moto3 at your peril. Right. It, do, you, do you want to make any predictions for I don't. Um, yeah. It is all over the place, this field. And it is an incredibly, like, raw sort of lineup. Where I was going to say, it's probably, it's probably lost more strong riders to Moto2 than ever before. Yeah, in that sense, yeah, I completely agree. Like, it is... It's tricky to say because there's a lot of guys that I think are on that second tier of really strong Moto3 riders that will inevitably move up with the, you know, the, there's a lot of talented guys moving up like next year. Guys like the return of Romano Fanasi, Jakob Kornfile, John McPhee, um, Tony Arbolino, you know, Dennis Foggia, um, Andrea Migno, guys who have won races or been in the mix um, to win races. But, you know, guys that, you know, have not really, we've not looked at them as proper title contenders yet. Um, there's a lot of stronger guys in that field in that sense. Um but there's also talented, you know, new blood like Tom Bufamos and and uh, coming up um, through the British Talent Cup and and guys that you know like 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 Chan Onsu who who hmm. will be making his debut, uh, his full time debut of the Red Bull KTM team. So we don't know yet how it's all going to shake out. It is it is the most probably the hardest to predict Moto Three field in some time. Again, if somebody put a gun to my head, I would probably say Dana Porter, but. Again, predict this at your peril because I have no idea realistically who's going to win this. I'm surprised if someone like Darren Binder or Gabby Rodrigo's up there by the end of the yeah, year. Yeah, I think Rodrigo's not about to shout at all because he's, he's he's stepping yeah. into the Grassini team um, that the, the um, Jorge Martinez left behind. But yeah, it's it's a class for this year that has lost Jorge Martin, Marco Bezzecchi, and Ayat Bastianini. Um, it's lost Philip Ertel. Um, it's 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 lost Fabio Di Gian Antonio. It's it's lost so many strong names from last season. 
Someone's going to have to step in and fill that void. Um, and I was just, while you were talking there, I was just looking through the entry list. Now, I, I only make it eight riders on this Moto3 entry list that have even won a race before. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of those is Onchu, who's undefeated, who won his only race that he started at the end of last season. Uh-huh. Uh, and I'm going to continue to call him the undefeated Chan Onchu until Qatar, um, until that run undoubtedly probably ends. Um, but uh, but we've got... Of the, of the people on the entry list that I've... Unless I've missed anyone, these are the guys that have won a race before. Mino, who's, who's won uh-huh. a couple. Uh, McPhee, who won that race in the wet at Bruno. Um, we have Antonelli, who's won. We yeah. have uh, Canet, who's won. He's, of course, for the uh-huh. new Max Biaggi team. Dalla who won last year. Fanati, who's won. Onchu, who won the final race of last season. Arenas, who's won a couple, including that madcap race at Phillip Island. Yeah. And, that, and that's it. Uh, from what I see, I can't see any other riders on this entry list who have won a Grand Prix before um, in Moto3 because the likes of Ramirez and Binder haven't yet. Um, we have people like Alonso Lopez who's been there or thereabouts. Rodrigo's had poles but hasn't won yet. Um, so, Binder's, so, got, Binder's got close before. Binder's, but not, got, no Binder's right. got close. Binder got a few metres away from winning at Mategi last year and hasn't. Um, mm-hmm. But but there are so many, there's so many wild cards in this. I mean, we've had people like Sergio Garcia, the rookie with Estrella Galicia, who's been very quick in testing. Um, Arbolito has been quick in testing. We've got people like Jean Massia, who's now got an extra year's experience, who's surely going to be strong this year, and he's surely mm-hmm. going to be eyeing race wins. Foggy is another who's going to be looking at wins. Fietti, who's his teammate, who nearly won at Philip Island last year. There is so much depth in this Moto3 field. So many riders who don't necessarily strike you as the next Marquez or the next Banyaya or the next whoever, but certainly strike you as he could win a race quite easily, um, you know, on the, on the right day. But I think there's, I think Dalaporta, Rodrigo, Canet, surely, I mean, surely he's got to get his act together this year, and Fanati, surely, because he's just too good not to. They're surely yeah. going to be up the front, um, challenging for wins and challenging for podiums, and you'd think challenging for the championship. But we shall see. Um, Moto2 is essentially a whole new playfield this season with uh, the new Triumph engines. Um, thoughts on this one, Dre? I mean, my tentative pick for the title is Brad Binder. What about you? I'm not so sure about Brad. I think KTM's got some chassis issues going on at the moment, right? Binder apparently has not been best pleased with how KTM chassis development has gone so far this year. They were testing out three or four. This uh, this past weekend, because I know Moto Two and Three Guys are doing testing right now as we speak. Mm. Um, Binder's not been best pleased with how the chassis developed so far. So, um, jury's still out on that one, as far as I'm concerned. Um, again, there's so many you know promoted guys that you know could spring a surprise. Bezeki has mentioned Jorge Martin. I think could be very fast right out of the get go. Sam Lowe's. Jake Dixon, who's had more time on this bike than anyone else in the world. Um, Sam Lowe's, who, again, has always been able to win races in the right environment. Yeah. Back home at Brasini um, is that right environment. Back home at think, yeah. yeah, you know, a, guy, a, a team he challenged for a title with three years ago. Um, so, you know, you've got guys like him. You've got some of the more established veterans, like Xavi Viege, now at Mark VS, Dominic Agata at forward with Stefano Manzi. Bastianini's come up the way. Um, Lorenzo Baldessari was strong last year, a guy who can win races. Um, you know, Luca Marini is you know had again a, a wins and challenging for victories towards the second half of last year. Really turned the corner 
the second half of the last season. I mean, the problem is last season, Vanyaya and and Oliveira are really the class of the field. There was they were they were the two standout one and two guys in the championship by a mile. Um, the everyone else was it was it was a crapshoot between them. Like there was eight or nine like really strong riders in there. Um, that were challenging for third overall. And, you know, guys like Alex Marquez was in there, who still is a, a solid talent. Thomas Lutis come back. Marcel Schrotter came along strong towards the end of last season. Binders was a, a race winner who was up there as well. I have no idea who's going to win this championship. I mean, again, if somebody put a gun to my head, I'd probably put Luca Marini as favorite right now, but not by much. It's it, it's It's... There is eight or nine guys who I could easily see challenging for the championship. And I'd say three or four more who, if everything goes their way, could spring some surprises as well. So it's, it's a pick em. Good luck. Yeah, basically. I was going to say. And, and it's, I'll tell you what, it is nice to be able to say that about Moto2. Um, because it's it's not been predictable necessarily, but it's been a class where it's been a, there's been a clear elite group of riders in that class mm-hmm. for a number of years now where you know the championship has been between two or three riders every year like it would be in the years when Zarko won it he won it comfortably and even then it was only the likes of Luti and Lowe's um mm-hmm. and Rins who was of course in the class at the time that were really able to keep pace with him and uh, and we'll talk maybe about Banyaya in a moment but I think it's more a measure not a measure of the fact that the field were inferior last year when we talk about Banyaya and Oliveira being so far ahead because I think we're now realizing just how good Banyaya actually is and how good oh, he yeah. was last year he is, he is he is freakishly good so uh don't hold that against the likes of Binder and et al last year who could not keep up right. because they were racing against a one one of those once in a generation talents I think um, in, mm. in Banyaya um, but but the Moto2 field this season just to quickly run you through it um, Lucas Tulevic, Stephen Odendal, Andrea Locatelli, Lorenzo Baldassari, Jorge Navarro, Luca Marini, Nicolo Bulliger, Thomas Luti, who's back, Joe Roberts, uh, Xavi Cardaluce, Dimes Eki Pratama, Fabio Di Antonio, Sam Lowes, Marcel Schrotter, Simone Corsi, Ika Lequona, Enea Bastianini, Somkia Chantra, Augusto Fernandez, Brad Binder, Tetsuta Nagashima, Stefano Manzi, Boben Schneider, Philip Ertl, Marco Bezzecchi, Alex Marquez, twas ever thus, Dominic Agata, Remy Gardner, Jorge Martin, Carol Idampawi, Jake Dixon, and Xavi Vieje, who, um, I mean, yeah, there's there's probably, a, again, eight or nine riders who you could make a case for, including Vieje, who's now with Mark VDS um, this season. Yeah, it's it's going to be a fantastic class, a brand new Moto2, uh, which is going to sound better, uh, if nothing else. Let's hope it looks better as well um, in oh, yeah. 2019. MotoGP. Um, it's... I mean, I've already nailed my calls to the mast on this one in the uh, in, in Barcelona last week. The, the three of us who were are all starting uh, with them at the same sort of time, we, we sat around a table when we were having a drink last Thursday night and we all named our three champions um, for the three classes. Um, <clears throat> and I've already named my two for Moto3 and Moto2. I, I, I said it was going to be Delaporte and I said it's going to be Binder. Um, right. I, I won't disclose who the other guys said because you know, it's, I'll, I'll leave that for, for, for them because it's, I'm not going to hang them out to dry on air. Um, but... <laughs> But in MotoGP, I went for Andrea Davizioso. Uh, and, I, and, I, and I think that the way I see it at the moment, Dre, and obviously there's, this is going to be famous last words, quite literally. Um, but um, <laughs> for me, and I know we're only basing this at the moment on one test, on Sipang, but Ducatis were first, second, third, and fourth at that test. 
admittedly, mm. they were up against a half-fit uh, Mark Marquez. We have to say that. Um, yeah. But for me, Ducati look super powerful at the moment. Andrea Vizioso has lost probably his biggest complication within his own team. That complication is now Mark Marquez's problem at Repsol Honda. Yeah. Of course, I'm talking about Jorge Lorenzo there. And I just have the feeling that the points that Jorge Lorenzo was going to take away from Andrea Vizioso, he may now start taking off Mark Marquez. And that may well let Andrea Vizioso through the back door to pinch the title. That's just my subjective, very early analysis of how I think this season's going to go. And it takes a brave man to bet against Mark Marquez. But I guess even if you don't agree, surely if there's going to be a year for Dobby to do it, this has got to be the year, hasn't it? Not to borrow one from RuPaul's Drag Race, but uh, the tea is piping hot on this one. Um, uh, yeah, I'm. Thanks, Tiff. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, is is Dovi going to get a better chance? I suppose is the question. No. Um, if you want to read the tea leaves, you're spot on. He's not going to get a better chance than this one, Marquez. Like, I think Lorenzo is too good not to take some points off Marquez. He's probably, he probably won't take he won't take as many as he did off Dobby. I think we're probably uh, fair to no, say. No, I, I, no, I, I agree on that one. Um, because if Marquez is going to be strong at a circuit, virtually unbeatable. Like, that, that's, as, that's as far as I'm concerned. Um, again, like Marquez still has bank arounds like Cota, Aragon, Argentina. Even if the Argentina results don't. Tell I, I was just about to say on that. I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll try not to veer too much from the, the Dobby discussion, but. Will they still? Will Argentina and Cota still be banker Marquez rounds if he's not fully fit? That's the problem because they come right at the start of the season. That's two of the opening three rounds. But then again, we said that year about Marquez and how strong he was in Qatar. He was a bike length away from winning that one. Mm. Um, and so Mar- Marquez has this knack of winning races last year that he wasn't supposed to win. Um, not on not on paper anyway. But as you said, if you read the tea leaves. With Dovi having a team all the time, I do not expect Petrucci to be a long-term threat to Dovi here. I just don't. I, I like I love Danilo as much as the next guy. No, me too. I can't I can't see him challenging Dovi long term. Mm. I hope I like, hope to God he wins one this year. Yeah, I I, I hope he. I, like, no one in the field deserves a win more than Do, more than Danilo Petrucci does. He's been he's been batting around that circle for the good two or three years now, and not quite been there. I'd love to see him win one. I don't think he's going to be a long-term threat for Dovi. I think, I mean, I think Lorenzo is too good not to take points off Marquez at some point. I don't expect the same level of handicap for Dovizioso going forward. If Dovi wants to win a world title, he's not going to get a better shot than this one. Um, it, that Ducati team is all his. He's on a GP19. You know, Dino is not a elite elite level teammate like other guys he's had in the past. So, weighing it up, I can't get there with Dovi. I just can't do it. I've, I have learned my lesson over the mm. years to stop betting against Mark Marquez because he finds a way to get it done. I will admit, a big question mark is how fit is the shoulder going to be when Qatar drops in a couple of weeks' time? Because it was obvious at Sepang, he was far from 100%. He had, to, he had to rest easy. He couldn't run as long as he would have liked. He had to rest the shoulder. Um, throughout the course of the four-day test in Sepang. It's clear that Marquez was is, is still nowhere near 100% yet. Obviously, as is Lorenzo, who's missed the test entirely. Um, so Honda's got teething problems, at least to start out the year. They're probably not going to be where they want to be. 
but he's Mark Marquez, and that's the problem. I can't bet against him. He's just too good. Um, I can't do it, but anyone that says Davizioso, I can't argue with you. He's got a very strong case he can make on this one because like the the politics of the field and how it's playing out all favour Davizioso, for sure. Yeah, we, we shall see. Um, uh, I guess one manufacturer that we'll keep you a very close eye on to see whether they can actually make a a championship uh, challenge are Yamaha, who were probably the disappointment of the 2018 MotoGP season, uh, only mm. won one race, um, and that was with Maverick in, in Australia. Um, new look for the season, new livery, which I'm slowly warming to. I wasn't quite so sure on it at first, but it's, it's warming on me. It's, it's growing on me, that new monster uh, Yamaha livery. Yeah, the, uh, the new black and blue uh, livery. Um, now, Maverick was pretty good in testing um he was obviously fastest at the valencia test post uh the final race of last season and he i think he was quickest on one of the days uh in sapang but ultimately not the quickest at the end of the test um valentino rossi wasn't particularly quick in testing or should we now say the 40 year old valentino rossi um, huh? <laughs> which, <laughs> he wasn't too he wasn't too quick in testing but he very seldom is um, yeah. he, ten- he tends to sa- save his uh, his you know ultimate outright best level for when it counts on race day. Um, uh, so um, so I wouldn't read too much into how fast or otherwise Valentino is at the moment. Um, but have we seen enough from them yet to suggest that they're going to be uh, championship contenders or at the very least closer to the front? Or is it still a bit up in the air with them? I think it's still a bit up in the air because Yamaha. They, they they did it like you know a couple of years ago when Maverick made debut three of the first five and then didn't win again for almost thirty rounds. Um, like they they do start strong. The early part of the calendar does favour them, especially when he, when he, when you start getting into Europe. The early European rounds, Yamaha traditionally are very good around. Um, I don't think the the test of Yamaha will be now. I think it will be when you get to the deeper European rounds like Catalonia, like Mugello. Um, like rounds where they've struggled in the past. I, that's where I want to see if Yamaha can start winning some of those races they were getting on the podium on and, you know, see, obviously you know, propping Rossi's praises for bringing a bad bike into play. But if they want to be taken seriously as a title contender, then they need to win five or six races next year. Mm. And they have won this, this season. And now Rossi probably blew a good chance at a second, um, no matter which way you slice it. Um one win is not going to cut it, and Lynn Jarvis' job's probably on the line this year. I don't think Yamaha's going to let him get third bad season in a row. Um, so they need to start winning, and they need to start winning now. Mm. Um, so, again, I think they will start strong because they tend to start strong. Whether that will hold up down the road when we get into the deeper parts of the season, like, like the Aragon round, you know, places where they traditionally have struggled around in years past, that, I think, will be the true test. Mm, I think it's going to be an interesting year politically within Yamaha with their riders because it's absolutely because they need to try and work out what the future of Yamaha is going to be. I mean, there have been those those sort of uh, comments flying around this week with Valentino Rossi turning 40 and they'll be like, hey, well, he might he might be able to ride until he's 46. Um, which, <laughs> which, which, yeah, obviously, with the number that he rides for, that's an obvious line to throw around, but I was going to say, who thought he'd ride to lose 40? So, right. so who knows? So so that's a question Yamaha... It sounds crazy to say it, but that's the question Yamaha are going to have to try and find an answer to this year. 
Is Valentino Rossi still... Does he still have a MotoGP future beyond the end of this year? Um, you know, and if so, if he's still going to be good enough, hell, he'd be a bit of a, a medical anomaly, but if he's still going to be good enough to win races at 42-43, then hell, go with him. Um, Why not? But but they, I think they need to answer that question this year, the Yamaha, because if he's not, they need to then, first of all, work out if Maverick Vinales is good enough to lead that team long-term. And if the answer is yes, build a bike accordingly. Um, right. Because it's clear that you cannot build a bike that suits both Valentino and Maverick. It just, it just doesn't right. seem as if that can be done because they have such different styles. Um, they've obviously now got the new uh, Patronus team, which is essentially a Yamaha B team with uh, Quattararo and Morbidelli. The, 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 the chance is there for one of those two this year to prove that they could well be the rider that Yamaha can build their future around if they can uh, start you know troubling the factory team's riders this year um, on what is essentially going to be a similar bike. Certainly more similar than the Tech 3 Yamaha ever was. Um, yeah. so, so that's going to be interesting. Um, so yeah, that, that's going to be an interesting little sort of subplot to watch this season. How quick are Yamaha and who has the, where does the balance of power lie within that team? Um, and and where is that team going long term? Because as I say, there are there are questions to be answered there. Um, Maverick, I suppose, I suppose, still has to prove that he can he can dislodge Valentino Rossi from that team. Valentino Rossi is essentially sat there saying, "I'm not going anywhere. You've got to prove that you're you're the guy to to lead this team and not me." Um, and at the moment, Maverick right. Vinales hasn't really proved that, has he? Um, no. So um, so that's going to be interesting to follow this season. Um, as ever in MotoGP, the field is so deep. There are, much like in, in World Superbikes, there are no dossers um, in this field. Um, we have the other factory teams of Aprilia. Um, we, of course, have Andre Inone now, um, once he's uh, recovered from his uh, his surgical enhancements that he's had over the, uh, the winter. Um, Good Lord! Which, uh, which, which prevented him from running on one day of the uh, Sepang Test, if you haven't missed that story. Um <sighs> Only and only. <laughs> yeah, an incredible, incredible story. One of those stories that you really couldn't make up. Andre only missed one of the uh, days of testing at Sepang because of complications after plastic surgery. It's true, to quote Kurt Angle. Um, and um, and, and Alicia Spargo, who's who's always going to um, get the most out of a motorcycle, whichever one you put him on. So um, he's going to be yeah. uh, good value on that earlier this season. KTM, who of course have uh, now got twice the, uh, the manpower, uh, twice the motorcycles this year with the new Tech 3 KTM team. Uh, Oliveira uh, and Siren are their two riders um, in what essentially is going to be a bit of a test team, really. They're going to be used as test dummies without uh, sounding too cruel to them. Uh, this season, yeah. they're going to be used as uh, basically throwing development parts at their bike to try and uh, benefit the factory team um, going forward. That factory team retains Paul Spargo, of course, got them their first podium at Valencia at the end of last season. And Joan Zarco, um, who, um, without... I mean, I'm talking about a rider who I'm a fan of, as I mentioned earlier on in Bradley Smith, but I think you know, Joan Zarco is a level above anything that KTM has had as a rider so far Yes. Um, with that team. Um, so um, he might well be the just just the right level of rider to take that team up a level uh, this season. And they've already said over the winter that they are looking for single-digit results this season. They've had they've had a number of 10th places, and they, they had the podium. Of course, that was a bit of a streaky one in the wet at Valencia. Yes. Um, they're going to be looking for more regular top eight, top six results, I think, this season. And I don't think that's an unreasonable um, expectation for KTM this season. The, the, the stage they're at now, that's that's what they've got to be doing now. They've, they've proven they can get... They've had top tens. Um, they've proven they can sneak into the top ten. They've proven they can get into Q2. Now you've got to be troubling the top six and troubling the four manufacturers ahead of you rather than being a distant fifth. Um, 
the fourth manufacturer uh, that they're going to be chasing, the one we haven't mentioned, is Suzuki. Um, and this is a team that excites me, not just because it has Joan Mir in it, um, mm-hmm. but because they finished largely through Alex Rins so strongly last season. Rins was the top point scorer in the second half of the season, with the exception of Dovi and Marquez. Um, which which is incredible for a rider in just his second season on a Suzuki. Um, mm-hmm. So the big question we were asking over the winter is, is this team going to be able to build on that? Are they going to make the same mistakes they made in 2017 where they built a bike without concessions that wasn't good enough and therefore without concessions couldn't improve it? It appears from preseason testing, Dre, that they've not made those same mistakes and that they are still every bit as competitive. This isn't looking like a fluke. It looks like that Suzuki team is genuinely really fast. Um, and it looks like they're picking up really where last year left off. Rins is right up there in the timing sheets. Joanne Mir is still learning, but still fast as well. Could Rins win um, one this year? Why not? Why not think they can start with? I mean, again, like Stepang, they were only a second and a half off the victory. Why not start thinking about wins? They've got their multiple podiums last year. They had to give up their concessions because they were too good. Basically, so if if you're giving those up, you've got to be thinking about victories by now, surely. Like that's got to be the idea. So if you're Suzuki, this is the next step: start challenging for wins. And then guys like Marquez last year were saying, "Listen, these guys are close, and they're going to be very fast next year." Then you've got to pay, you've got to stand up and pay attention to it because if, if if that holds up, they're going to be super fast this year. And why not be thinking about victories? Mm, absolutely, it's uh. It's going to be so fun to follow it this season. Um, ultimately, though, Dre, um, I think I already know the answer, but MotoGP, you you sticking Marquez? Yeah, I'm just got, I've got to stick Marquez on this one. I think he's too good, and I think that I think he'll still find a way to win six or seven races a year, which is something I'm not sure about with 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 Dovi and the Ducati just yet. Mm. We we shall see. It's it's going to be a fantastic motorcycle racing season uh, across. World Superbikes that gets underway this weekend. British Superbikes, which, as I mentioned, gets underway uh, around Easter. Uh, and the MotoGP, Moto2, and Moto3 seasons, which get underway in, well, as you listen to this podcast, in a couple of weeks' time. The opening race of the season is on March the 10th uh, in Qatar. Um, and, well, I, I dearly wish that I would be able to uh, spend this season, as I have in the last five years, bringing you weekly bike life podcast to um to talk about it all um it's been the most incredible incredibly fun time um of the last five years and i i haven't planned anything i'm gonna say here so literally this is just gonna all just come off the top of my head so if it, if it doesn't make Glory any sense so if it doesn't Glory. make any sense uh i apologize in advance um but um but yeah this uh, as we said right at the start of the of the show it's it's something that we we started off essentially as as a bit of fun uh, as, as a podcast and just, just two of us just shooting the breeze on motorcycle racing and in many ways it has remained that right to the very end and and, and i wouldn't have it any other way um but we've had we've had so much fun over the way we've um spoken to so many incredible people that i i never thought i would have had a chance to interview i wouldn't be able to mention them all by name because i know i'll forget some um but but the, but just to just to throw a few that we've already mentioned the likes of nikki hayden bradley smith sam lowes brad binder alex lowes um james Raspoli, uh, and so on so many terrific uh riders that i never thought never thought that i would have the opportunity to um share a podcast floor with and to actually interview and just have a candid conversation with these guys um and 
uh, I, I, I never thought that this is where this podcast would have gone. Um, and for that, I am first and foremost incredibly proud um, of 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 how myself, Dre, and, and Bex, and and everyone that's assisted with this has, has been able to take this. Um, so many people that I, I, I'd like to thank again. Um, if I if I miss someone, I apologise because I haven't planned anything that I'm going to say here. But um, from the very start of it, um, for for Jake Sanson for uh, giving 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 us this opportunity five years ago, uh, Lester Forbes who produced um, the first three years of, of this podcast, uh, to all of the panelists, to all of the people who have appeared on the podcast, um, the likes of Adam Weller, Ben McPhillips, Tom Brooks, who of course has got on to great things himself since since departing um yeah. the podcast um you know to to some of the people that have appeared over the course of our most what 101 run to, to the likes of ryan king patrick hofstetter uh who've appeared on this podcast uh to the likes of greg haynes who has been such an incredible help and um and i'm delighted again to and proud to call him a friend and someone who's going to continue to offer his assistance to me uh in what i'm going to go on and do uh my huge thanks to all of you anyone who has ever listened to a podcast um that i have either presented or of course produced uh, on motorsport 101 um it means so much to me that you've you've deemed my uh work be it editing or hosting worthy of two hours of your time it means a huge amount that you've uh, that you've as i say that you've 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 listened to to me talk about bikes or to listen to me edit a show about about motorsport for, for so long it, it means the absolute world to me um uh, the final thanks that i have to give to rebecca james who um obviously joined myself and dre over two and a half years um and delighted to be able to call her a very close friend for life it, it, it's you know her friendship means the most means the world to me and you know, i'm gonna miss um and still do miss her on these shows very dearly um, the biggest thanks, of course, has to go to you, Dre, um, who I've basically spent five years hosting a podcast with, and there's, there is no one else I would have rather held, held the podcast with. It's been it's been the most amazing fun. Again, I've I've made a friend for life hosting this show, um, and I'm going to miss you, mate. I'm going to miss you too, Lewis. Um, um, where do I go from here? I mean. I... Again, a part of me was hoping that this day would never come, but a part of me always knew it was going to happen because Lewis is one of the most exceptionally talented people I've ever had the pleasure of working with, um, whether it be from an editing standpoint, a presenting standpoint, from a, a work rate standpoint, from a journalistic standpoint. He is a phenomenal, phenomenal journalist. This this role was made for someone like him. Um, just overall sports buff of a brilliant passion for bikes um and motorsport in general and you know i've had an absolute blast for the last four and a half five years and i said it at the start of the show and i'll say it here i've never had a you know a, a easier working relationship with anyone in my life because we just clicked from day one we we got it and we knew what we wanted to do and Never in our wildest dreams did we ever think we'd take it to this point. Um, you know, to thousands and thousands of plays. To over, I think combined between Downforce and then when we did over 170 shows together over the last four and a half years, which is absolutely bonkers to even say the least. And you know, if if, if you just I I'd, I'd, I'd have said I've been dreaming if 
you know, four and a half years ago when we first started on Downforce, it would never end up turning out something like this. Um, <laughs> it's never going to be quite the same again without Lewis on here. And, like, we're losing someone that is good, that in my opinion, is irreplaceable. Um, but I know he's going to smash it out there. He is a brilliant talent. And, like, if he was leaving here, I'd have basically pushed him out of the door if he said he didn't want to touch it. Like, Lewis, this is you. Go, go, please. Do not stick around for, for our benefit. But, like, of course, it's going to be sad losing someone as talented as Lewis. But at the same time, he is going to an incredible outfit. It is a dream job at the end of the day. And, like, I will never begrudge someone of that. Um, not in a million years. Um, he's going to crush it out there. I have no doubt about that. Without a shadow of a doubt in my mind, he's going to crush it. And um, it's been an honor and a privilege to be able to work with you, Lewis, over the last four and a half years. Like, M101 would not be where it is today if it wasn't for you. So from the bottom of my heart, mate, thanks for everything. We, we could not have done it without you. Mm. And I am never, ever going to forget that. Yeah, so it's, thank it's, you. And just one more thank you as well. Thank you to all of you who's listened as well. It's been a wonderful ride. It really has. Um, again, never, never in a million years of life thought we could we could have done this uh, four and a half years ago. To to, to have a, an institution like Bike Live a part of the M101 banner is one of the achievements I've had since I've got here. And it's opened doors that I never thought they would open and it ultimately all boils down to you thank you for inviting us into your homes and for listening to us for the last two years on m101 amazingly the very first episode of m101 we recorded and went live with an interview with chad davis and previewing the 2016 season so it's 2017 sorry that went live two years ago today and i can't believe the the poetry that we're closing this on so thanks to henry chapman for pointing that one out but um it's been an incredible ride, and like I said, thank you for inviting us into your homes, into your ears. We've enjoyed it four and a half years together. We, we couldn't have done it without you guys as well, so thank you all so much for listening. And I'm, I'm not saying it's goodbye forever, but it is certainly goodbye for now. And I honestly don't know what the future is going to lie for this show. I've, I've not really given it that much thought. I don't really want to, to be honest, because, you know, it's it's difficult, you know. It's difficult to say goodbye to a baby that we've raised over the last, you know, five years. But we shall see in the future. But for now, thank you. Yeah. It's it's been an honour and a privilege. Yeah, it's it's been my absolute pleasure. And 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 I I, I can certainly say personally, um, that obviously from a personal point of view, it's it's a huge opportunity, an exciting opportunity. But there's no question that it would that I would not be in this position without. Um, without you, Dre, and without without everyone who's made um, Bike Live and has made Motorsport 101 as as great as it is, because that's you know it's it's the fact that the work that that I've done and the work that we've done has been taken so seriously that has that has enabled this um, to come about. And you know, I'll be forever indebted to you guys, and um, I will forever remain a friend of you guys. I'll forever remain a friend of the show. I'll forever remain a supporter of the show. Um, it's funny that we end on a on a bit of a sort of a, a bit of a joke, but um, first of all, thank you to Vic in the uh, in the chat for his very kind, kind comments, and then thank you for uh, following up with. Here's hoping Brexit doesn't ruin it. Um, <laughs> yeah. 
Which, uh, there's a slight irony in the fact that um, yeah, a Remainer voter like me is actually uh, getting out of the UK just before the UK gets out of the EU. Funny that, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> uh, wasn't planned, but that's how that's the way it's coming about. Um, I'll, I'll end by um, telling you about the places you can find Motorsport 101 um, because I'm essentially going to be, like you now, going to be a fan like all of you guys. Um, Facebook.com forward slash Motorsport 101. On Twitter, you can follow us at Motorsport underscore 101. Uh, the YouTube channel, um, YouTube.com forward slash Motorsport 101. Uh, the website is Motorsport101.com. Uh, and if you like our content so much that you'd like to back us financially, Patreon.com forward slash Motorsport 101. Five dollar backing earns you early access to Motorsport 101 each and every week, which will be going weekly again very, very soon. With Formula One testing yep. underway and the new season just a few weeks away, uh, IndyCar also right around the corner as well. Uh, and if you back us at a ten dollar level, um, which I can say as an absolute promise, very, very shortly, uh, I will be doing just that. Um, you can um, you. you can uh, get yourselves access to our Discord server and listen to this podcast and listen to me try and hold back the tears live as it happens. Um, <laughs> and uh, if that's not a better, good way of spending ten dollars, I don't know what is. Um, All worth it. But uh, but yeah, um, a huge thank you uh, once again to everyone that has listened, appeared on, contributed to, just supported um bike live uh and and anything that i've been involved in um with motorsport 101 over the last five years um i'm gonna miss you all very very dearly i'm from a social media point of view which is rather bizarrely now going to be my actual living um i'm I, i'm not going to be i'm not going anywhere from that point of view so any of you that follow me personally on any of my social media but be it facebook or be it on twitter at lewis 23 I'm not going anywhere. You can still talk to me every bit as often on there. And quite frankly, given that there's a small chance I'm going to be a little bit homesick over the next month or so, um, <laughs> I'm probably going to be uh, looking to speak to you and be happy to speak to you um, every bit as often as normal uh, as, I try and settle in, as, I try, as I try and settle into a brand new country and uh, try and learn a whole new language. It's going to be a challenge, but one I'm uh, looking forward to. Um, we've, we've called the show many names, including the biggest argument in motorsport, um, but Bike Life <laughs> does now... Um, come to an end um, one argument we have settled um, and we end um, by as I say saying thank you to all of you that have made this show what it is um, this may not be goodbye forever I will still always be a fan of uh, of Motorsport 101 and I will still always be a supporter in one way shape or form um, but as far as this chapter is concerned we now close the book on it it's thank you from me uh, and it is goodbye goodbye